Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, the Lakers lose again. The Bucks lost to Minnesota. Jazz are going to be in Milwaukee to see the Bucks on uh, Sunday. And Houston tied the World Series 1-1. We'll get to all of that coming up on what is trending in one hour. But right now we're going to start you off with a game I know a lot of you are thinking about. 6-2 BYU, 6-2 Virginia. And yes, Bronco is coming back to BYU, and that's a big storyline. But... Virginia is throwing for more than 400 yards per game. It is ranked, they're ranked second in all of Division I bowl subdivision football. It's a massive number. How is BYU going to defend that? Here's BYU defensive coordinator Elisa Tuiaki with the media. Well, got to ask uh, about getting ready for this Virginia offense because it looks pretty good. Yeah, you've seen some film? I watched a little bit. I didn't break it down like you are, but I watched a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're they're really good. They're uh, obviously well coached. Got a lot of good players. Um, think, you know, Robert and I just just did an awesome job with them. I mean, with where they're at, just uh, that's the type of stats they're putting up, the amount of points they're putting up. It's a really really tough uh, offense to prepare for, um, and you know we've got got our work ahead of us. How much do you? How much does it help when the offense is clicking in that sense, both emotionally for the defense, but also if they're able to put together some drives and give your guys a break? How, how much would balance in that sense help you guys out? Oh, that's. Uh, I think that's. Um, that's that's a, that's a huge help. You know, in football in general, you look at uh, just any team's playing. When the offense is scoring, then uh, you know takes a lot of pressure off the defense. When defense is playing well, but the offense is keeping the ball, it's uh, you know a complimentary deal. And so I think just the the tactical uh, game of football, um, you know, you want the offense to do well, and you want the defense to keep keep points off the board. And the more you have possession of the ball, the better off you're going to be. He, uh, Kalani took a, a different page this week and deferred any injury updates to the coordinator. So I'm going to ask you any, what's the latest on Zoe and Caden Haas for uh, their availability this week? Yeah, we're, we're still taking it slow on, uh, on Zoe. Being cautious with him. Caden will be back. Uh, Blake Mangelson will, will, uh, is still out. Is Jacob Palau out for the year? I know he was, he was, yeah. uh, got hurt against Baylor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jacob Palau is out for the year. Okay. Yeah, he's uh, yep. Okay, thank you for that. Uh, that's that's great. And then uh, wanted to ask you um, about Virginia's coaching staff, all the connections. It's obviously a big storyline coming in. Do you do you feel like that? Uh, you have to like temper ex or emotions for your guys coming in this game with with um, maybe some of the the coaching connections with a lot of these guys having a homecoming of sorts. Um. <clears throat> You know, I think that that's uh, those storylines exist. Uh, you know, anytime that that you've got something like this happening, but I think our boys are doing a good job staying focused. Um, you know, we've obviously had games like this before with with playing Utah every every year and and those type of deals with uh, you know us knowing each other as a coaching staff and and it's just uh, you know kind of on the outskirts of the of the main story, which is uh, our players and and their needs and us uh, you know getting prepared to to win a game. Excellent. Hey, I think it's my turn. Um, yeah, go ahead, Jay. Sorry. Have you matched which wits before with Robert and I head to head, even as an assistant defensive coach somewhere? 
Um, just then as, as an assistant, when he was here, I was, I was coaching. Uh, that was my first couple of years at Utah um, with Kalani. Kalani was the coordinator. Um, you know, that's, that's really the only familiarity I have with, with coaching against Robert. But uh, and then, you know, he's, he's, a, he's an OG. He's an OG in this game. And I'm just a, just a little bubblegum guy trying to come up and trying to be like him. You know, he's uh, in, in the Polynesian culture and the community. We all look up to those guys that have been in the game for this long. And that's how I feel about uh, Robert and I. Were you guys – did you recruit Wayne, uh, their running back, uh, Tapalahu, or I can't say his name? Uh, Taulapapa? I guess. Uh, he was uh, – he was, uh, he was uh, I think, committed with the previous staff. Um, it's, it's been so long ago, I can't really remember, but um, didn't, didn't really have, um, you know, that, that, that much interaction with him. And then uh, Brandon Armstrong, the Virginia quarterback – who does he compare to that you've played so far, or is he so unique uh, that that nobody really stands out? I, I think it's hard to, to th uh, think of anybody off the top of my head. He's 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 really good. I mean, he's he's uh, really efficient. Just got a, he's got a phenomenal arm. Obviously, he does things with his legs. I, I you know I don't uh, could, I don't want to disservice him by comparing to somebody that that probably take away from his talent. He's a very very talented person. Okay, next that's Sean Walker and then Jay Catch. Hey, Coach. I, I know you guys are so in, dialed in, locked in on Virginia and game to game, game by game and everything, but you guys did clinch a pretty big milestone uh, last week with bowl eligibility, that sixth win and everything. Um, Kalani was saying that, that that bowl eligibility is a really big deal for the program, just being able to get those extra practices in and that kind of thing. How big of a difference have you been able to kind of see – those extra practices really, I guess, affect kind of the, the guys that are on this team right now even. I mean, how big of a deal uh, is, is that from your side of the ball? Yeah, it's, it's uh, <clears throat> really important for us to, to, to get those, uh, those practices where we can continue to develop. You know, there's, we've, we've uh, you know, uh, taken an approach uh, in recruiting and development. That, that, that's our deal. And so any kind of practice where you can get the young bucks um, you know, scrimmaging each other, getting some, getting some extra reps, some extra individual time is going to be huge for us, um, for their development leading into, you know, an off season uh, of uh, eight, eight week training program before you start spring ball. Coach, I, I wanted to ask, in terms of when you guys switch between a three and a four man front, I know it usually depends on the opponent as you're going up against, but. What's the difficulty in – I'm sorry, you, you cut off there. Uh, anybody get the, the whole question? Okay. <clears throat> Jake, try again. You, you cut out. Okay, let me try that again. Yeah, so, Coach, I was asking you, in terms of your guys' three- and four-man alignments with your down line, I know it usually depends on the opponent you're going up against when you determine what you're doing with that. Is there a, a certain skill set you need for guys to be able to switch between those two? two different alignments or is it just hey this is what we're doing this week let's move forward yeah there's uh there's always uh you know specific things that you're asking them to do and you know that's where where some players are highlighted a little bit more in in one scheme versus the other and and uh you know when you're when you're playing three down front you're you're playing with a little bit more you're playing more backers or you're playing more more dbs it's just 
those, those guys are highlighted and that's why you know you see a guy like Jacob Bourne who <clears throat> kind of quietly just been contributing to the team on special teams and other areas but where he's highlighted because we need more cover guys or we need more backers or whatever it is and um, you know that's uh, you end up going back to a four down front you just you know you're you, you, nobody really knows much about uh, what the line play is but there's there's just a need for just uh, bigger bodies in there. I also wanted to ask you about Jacob Boren. What's his background and why has he made this shift to all of a sudden being a starter? Uh, yeah, he's, he's done a phenomenal job for us. Um, you know, he's, he, he walked onto the program. He is a kid from Highland. Uh, uh, went to Highland High School and, and served a mission, came back and just just has been busting his tail uh, to, to try to get on. And he, you know, he walked on and and uh, has been contributing on special teams, was originally a receiver and just really trying to try to find a place on the team to contribute. And he's been with us for, um, he's been with us, I think, since spring um, playing, playing nickel and, and uh, finally had his moment to, you know, his name called and with a lot of just different movement, different guys being injured and out and all that stuff. Uh, you know, he had an opportunity to play and, and did a really good job. Okay, we've got uh, time for one more question. Uh, Jared Lloyd, go ahead. Coach, I know you guys understand how fans are going to say what fans are going to say, and I know the players sometimes get into it a little bit. And we were talking to Lopa yesterday, and he had some pretty strong um, complimentary things to say about how the guys buy into the scheme and they care and how he feels like maybe sometimes people don't understand, you know, exactly what you guys are trying to do. What's it like to have the player buy in like a guy from a guy like, like Lopa? Yeah, that's, uh, I think that uh, speaks volumes to just the type of players and kids that we have in the program. I mean, you know, you uh, go, you know, the amount of games that we've been winning in the last two years, I think it's, it's because players like that, that are completely bought in that are, that are, you know, it's it's sometimes frustrating even for a guy like that, that like Lopa, that, uh, you know, is, is coming back off of COVID year for his senior year. And, you know, it's been, in, you know, rotating, sometimes starting, sometimes not. And it's just, you know, for a guy to be selfless and be, be all into to what we're doing and, and competing and just trying to find a way to contribute, I think is the reason why, you know, you have the team that succeeds is because we have a lot of players like that. There's BYU defensive coordinator Elisa Tuiaki with the media. When we come back, we're talking jazz with Joe Ingles, and we're talking college football with Riley Jensen. Stay with us. It's game week for the Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. It's a game Cougar fans have circled for a long time as Bronco Mendenhall makes his return to Provo as the Cougars welcome in the Virginia Cavaliers. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 7 with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Visit the Ford Fan Zone on Level 6. It's your next jazz game. Level 6 has free Papa Shot games, cornhole, and foosball tables. Enjoy incredible city mountain views while relaxing, enjoying food and drink, taking in the game, and socializing with friends. DJ and PK, it is time now to bring in our college football insider, Riley Jensen. Riley joins us right now 
On the Smart Rain guest line, Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows the 2022 budget planning for most businesses is coming soon. Take advantage of their Save Now, Pay Later promotion and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at SmartRain.net. Riley, good morning. Good morning, guys. What's going on? Broncos coming back. The Bruins are coming to town. And what for them is an elimination game? It's a big night of college football Saturday. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actually really excited about football this weekend. Oh, good. <laughs> Thanks, Riley. Have a good day. We'll talk to you later. <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry. I was, I was kind of organizing my next thought. Uh, look, I think that Bronco coming back to town is it's a real dynamic. Uh, there, there were people that loved Bronco. There were people that didn't like Bronco, both inside and outside the program. But I think, I think what we've known for a long time is that Bronco is a very good coach. And and the reason why I think Bronco is a fantastic coach is because expectations for his players are always very, very clear. Now you may love it, you may hate it, you may hate a quest for perfection. Uh, type t-shirt or some sort of like mantra that is offensive to another team or even even inside you may not like the way that he presents it but there is not one player that played for Bronco and I Bronco was my defensive coordinator when I was when I was playing at Snow College that's how that's how far back that's how old I am now right and he he's just very clear about what it takes to play for him, what it takes to to succeed, and all those sorts of things. And he's a little stoic in nature. I mean, we did a we did a skit when I was a freshman in college. I was scared to death because all the guys were making me do, you know, an impersonation of Bronco. And he used to wear his Oregon State cleats with his number. And I got the coaches to steal his cleats out of his locker and let me wear it. And so, and man, I was so nervous about kind of poking fun at Coach Bronco. And he came out. He came out at the end, and he just had like a little smile, just a little tiny smile, and he goes, well done, Jensen, well done. And, and that's about all you get out of Bronco, right? Like, that's about all you get out of him, you know? And it, and it, and it was uh, – but, but man, the, you talk to a player that played for him, and there's this, there's this deep level of respect for him, and I, and I anticipate that this is going to be um, – Oh, a hard-fought game because you know Kalani wants to win this game and you know Bronco wants to win this game. And so it's going to be very, very interesting. Doesn't BYU have to just pulverize these guys so it sends a message to LDS kids? Don't go across the country. Stay right here. <laughs> I mean, I I think in some ways we, we overrate like wins and losses as to whether – you know, whether somebody's going to go to a school or not. I mean, every kid has to decide whether it's a good fit. Most LDS kids, if they, if, if they're really wanting that, that BYU experience, they can't, they can't get that BYU experience at Virginia. But if it's a really, really smart, good football player, who's, who's maybe not all just not, not that he's not all in on the religion, but he feels like he's religious and that he can get everything that he wants at both schools. That's, that's the player that you have to worry about. But I think you bring up the word pulverize, and as I've been looking through the stats a little bit, one of the things that stands out to me in this game, and I think you'll see this develop during the game, is that 
BYU has to run the football very, very effectively, and they have to keep this offense for Virginia off the field. Virginia's offense is rated fourth in the country. BYU's defense is 72nd. But I think the one that's the most, I think the, the statistic that I'm most interested in is, is BYU's defense is 113th in the country in third down defense. And Virginia's offense is 15th in the country in third down offense, meaning getting off the field for BYU is a huge deal against this offense. And, man, that statistic right there just makes me really nervous for BYU. And then you've got, you know, you've got this quarterback that threw for 400 yards and four touchdowns, then he ran for two touchdowns last week. I mean, this is this – is, it has to be easily the most high-powered offense that Broncos ever had. So is BYU secondary up to the test? Is it even fair to put it on the secondary? Are they going to be dropping eight and trying to clog the lanes? And and uh, Dylan Cauley was explaining to us how that confuses receivers as they try to decide which route they're supposed to be running on a given play because you usually have a couple options. So how, how does BYU slow down this passing attack? Well, so this is this is my theory on, on defensive backs, and I've thought this for a long time. And if you you think about the University of Utah and all the great defensive lines. Yeah, you think about that, PK. I am. Think about that while Yacht calls Riley back. I'm thinking about it. <laughs> what have you come up with so far? I'm still in the process of thinking. So I haven't reached a conclusion. I, I don't know how I feel about this particular game. I can look at the stats, yeah, but I don't know what is true in this particular game. I know the stats as they related to the other games. What does that mean this game? Not sure yet. Well, Riley, we've been thinking about it. You ordered us to think about it, and then you went away. <laughs> I, I actually just lost my train of thought. What did, I, what, what did I say that threw me off? Why did you get hang up on me? I don't even know what's going on here. I'm totally confused. You're going Scott Gerard on us. <laughs> I, I I seriously did. I lost my turn of thought. Oh, I thought you were just I thought you were screwing around with us. I asked no, you no. about the, the BYU secondary. Can they handle this? Is it even fair oh, to put yeah. on the secondary? Because are they going to be dropping eight? Got it. So my my theory on, on defensive backs and slowing people down, if you if you think about the University of Utah in the past, you think about the different things that go on with 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 defense. When you have a great defensive line, you produce great defensive backs. Defensive backs make all kinds of plays when you have a great defensive line. Um, and and the, the point that I would make that, that even proves it even further is I, there was a few defensive backs that played with me at Utah State University that I thought were great defensive backs. They didn't put up great stats. And then they went on into the NFL and played great football for seven, ten years. And I think the biggest difference is when a defensive line can put pressure on a quarterback or when a defensive line can can fluster a quarterback a little bit by only rushing four or only rushing three, and then, then DBs can make plays. Nobody, I don't care who you are, I don't even think Deion Sanders could have done that. Well, maybe Deion Sanders, but throw everybody else out. But nobody can cover a guy for six, seven seconds downfield. Nobody can do that. It's just... It's not even possible. And so, to me, there has to be 
some sort of hesitation created for this quarterback or some sort of, of like, man, I'm not sure if I should throw this ball. And whether that's – I mean, I kind of feel like BYU's defense has been big in the rushing three and dropping eight. But I think they've got to mix it up a little. They've got to bring some different pressures. They've got to do some different man-on-man schemes. They've got to do some things to kind of mix up this quarterback. Because if you don't, he's just going to sit back there and throw for 404 touchdowns. And that, to me, that does not bode well for BYU. And I'm I'm really surprised that – because if you look at Virginia's stats, they're throwing for 400, but they're, just, they're rushing for just over 100 a game. I'm surprised that their third down efficiency is so high. That means that they're doing really, really good high percentage passing on first and second down, and that, that's how you—that's how you get them off the field. Is you've got to make good plays on first and second down, and not not hang everything on third down. So you have two guys who have BYU experience coaching there. One's coaching now. One coached before, and their styles are a little bit different, as you said, Bronco. Doesn't necessarily is a warm fuzzy guy. Where Kalani will just hug you and practically uh, you know kiss you on the lips as far as that goes. I mean he's so warm and receptive and open. What does a player look for in a head coach when it comes to that stuff? Well, I think I think when you're young, this, this is interesting because I've kind of evolved on my thinking on this. I know when I was young, I loved a player's coach, right? Like I had a, I had a coach by the name of, of Coach Mike Canales. Some people call him Chico. I mean, he was what I would call a player's coach. I mean, he was always celebrating your wins. When you made a good play in practice, there was a high five and a butt slap. And it just really, like, it, it felt like it energized me. And then my next offensive coordinator was a guy by the name of Ed Larson, who's the head coach at Lehigh. And, dude, I had to fight for a compliment from that dude when I was playing. And now now I'm really tight with him now, and, and we're really good friends now. But when I was playing for him, it was like I was fighting for my dad's approval. Like, you can't believe. Like, it was like if I got a compliment, I could have ran on that for four months from him. And there was a couple times where he called me out in front of the team. But my best season was under Ed Larson. And it, and it wasn't even close compared to – you know, and I had Bobby Petrino as a coach. He wasn't necessarily a player's coach. He was, he was really hard on me. And then I had Dave Arslanian, who was a player's coach. What I would say is the common denominator or, or, or the thing that I think is most, most important is the great ones want to be coached. The great ones want to – they want to know – that not only do, do do you respect my game, but you are going to push me as far as I can go. Because when I look back on my career, my best seasons were with coaches that were that, that weren't necessarily my best friend, and they weren't necessarily players' coaches. But man, I think they showed me love in a different way. They showed me love in a way that they believed in me, and they kept pushing me and kept pushing me and kept pushing me. And I think a lot of those guys that played for Bronco, they really loved loved him because he pushed them, right? Now, it doesn't mean that if you're a player's coach that you can't be somebody that pushes, but you can't be the guy, you know, sometimes player's coach get mixed, gets mixed up with um, kind of these coaches that move the goalposts on you. They're like, well, no, you're doing great, man. We love you, but you never play, right? And so they never give you real feedback. They never give you real stuff. And so if you're going to be a player's coach or if you're going to be a hard-nosed coach, I don't care which one it is, as long as you're consistent in your message, 
And as long as you're truthful in what you're trying to tell the player so that he can get on the field, you got to tell guys the truth. If you don't tell them the truth, that becomes really, really hard. When you know, It's like Charlie Brown when – I can't remember, is it Lucy that moves the ball out yeah. from underneath him when he tries to kick it, right? Yeah. There's coaches like that. There's coaches that are like, no, everything's good, everything's good. Whoop. And then all of a sudden you're falling on your back and you're going, wait, I thought you told me if I did this I would play, right? And so that's something that coaches learn over the years. It's something that players learn over the years. And I think, I think you can do both styles as long as there's truth underlying both of those. Is UCLA going to run through Utah the way Oregon State did? Yeah, I, I, the, the Oregon State game was really fascinating for me to watch because that's, that was an impressive run game from Oregon State. Now, I don't, their passing game was nice and complimentary, but I, I don't think I've seen anybody run the ball like that in the Pac-12 since Utah's been in the Pac-12. Like, that that was impressive, like, hard-nosed, like, just, just knock-your-teeth-out type offensive football. And I just have a hard time believing that UCLA's the same way. Now, UCLA, I thought, when I, and really my reference is the LSU game, which is not that impressive of a win now, but they are much more physical than they they have been in the past. I think there's a level of physicality that's better. But they run a little bit different running scheme than than what Oregon State does. And I think the running scheme that, that Oregon State, State runs is more difficult for the U than the running game that, that UCLA will use. And so I kind of feel like they're not going to be able to run through the Utes like Oregon State did. I think – I think you're talking about a really, really tough ball game. I don't know if their quarterback's going to play, and I think that makes a difference because I think even though his stats aren't, like, spectacular, he's, like, 50 or 60 yards running and 250 yards passing. It's still 300 yards of total offense, right? I think this is a game that the Utes win, but it's going to be a dogfight. It's going to be a dogfight. How do you explain them stumbling inside the five-yard line multiple times? Shouldn't you know you got something that you can count on? Yeah. I, I, I'll, tell you what, I'll tell you what's interesting about Kyle this year is, and he, said, he hasn't said it outright. I've listened to a couple of his interviews, but he's buying into some of this analytics, right? And he's, he's definitely gone for it on fourth down more than I've ever seen him. Uh, at least that I can remember, and I, I love it slash hate it, right? Like, and 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 he's even said, like, look, we're we're looking at the analytics. Now, there's a lot that goes into it. It's not all about analytics, but I I felt like he's been much more aggressive. My question would be, and I don't know what's going on in the background, but uh, I think uh, Coach Ludwig has got to have this figured out now that that Coach Winningham is being more aggressive that he does have a signature play or he does have some sort of like mindset as they get inside the five or inside the 10 yard line that he's probably got four downs. Um, And so I I think they've got to get a little bit more of an identity in the red zone there. But what I will say is it may have been in the past that he'd been so used to the conservative nature of not going that he was like, okay, well, we'll play for a field goal here. And, you know, you know, I felt like 
you can't say that that Utah left 21 points on the board because you don't always get touchdowns when you're doing things. But if you kick field goals, they missed one, and then they had two opportunities on fourth downs. I mean, nine points is is a big deal in that game. And I don't know what the answer is because I I get nervous about tempting the football gods. If you don't take an easy three points, they're not going to give you seven points when you need it. And that it just makes me nervous. But the analytics is telling everybody to go for it on fourth down. I mean, Kalani's more aggressive. You know, Coach, you know, uh, Coach Winningham's more aggressive. I feel like Utah State's been aggressive. Somehow there's an analytic out there that says go for it on fourth down. And I, I think that's the way of the future, I guess. But man, it feels like they left some points on the board. More likely to win their division, the Utes or the Aggies? The Aggies. The Aggies, man. They got a way easier schedule. I mean, dude, you, you, you get a little bit of football luck. I mean, they, they probably they probably could have lost that game on Friday night. Colorado State gets, you know, they, they get all confused going in for their, their last second kick, and they, they miss wide left. Utah State gets a, a big win. They're 5-2. and two. And, I, I mean, I feel like their schedule lightens up considerably right now. And, man, I mean, I've even heard – and so this isn't a criticism of, of Coach Anderson because I've heard him say it. He, he didn't say it in these words, but it's been a little bit of smoke and mirrors this year for Utah State. I mean, they're not real deep at the D-line. They're not deep at linebacker. They've been doing enough to slow teams down. They've been putting up, they've been putting up points in an exciting brand of football. I, I'm way excited right now about Utah State football, and I know it's not, you, you know, it's not like, I, I mean, I don't think there's any chance that they win the Mountain West Conference against San Diego State or Fresno, but they have a real good chance to be in that game right now, and it's just, it's a real compliment to this, this coaching staff. They've done a great job. It's an exciting brand of football. I really like watching it. There's local players. There's snow college players. There's out-of-state players. It's just a really good mix of people. And then, you know, I, it's really fun to watch them either on TV or in person and just see how, how great that student section is and how fun it is to be a, a Utah State fan and, and watch that kind of environment go on. Riley, as always, we appreciate it. We will talk to you again next week. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much. There is Riley Jensen, our college football insider, Joe Ingles, next. It's game week for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. The Utes return home to the friendly confines of Rice-Eccles Stadium for a key Pac-12 South Division battle against Chip Kelly and UCLA. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch the Ute pregame show Saturday with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Ute football. You ready? Yeah! Than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hey, yeah. This is the Zone Sports Network. Back to Joe and he'll flush. And it's time to hear from the best looking, most charismatic, and certainly the most intelligent member of the Utah Jazz. Jingle Bell. Bam. 
Joe Ingles. Gives it back to Joe till the cop slams it in. And yes, for the record, Joe wrote this introduction. This is the Joe Ingles Show <laughs> with DJ and PK. Who? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. Time to welcome in Joe Ingles. He's on the Smart Rain guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows the 2022 budget planning for most businesses is underway. Take advantage of the Save Now Pay Later promotion and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at smartrain.net. Joe, good morning. Hi. <laughs> Come on, Joe. You're 3-0. and You're playing well. You're winning games. How about a little more energy? Hi. Uh, come on. Hi, guys. This is awesome. Yeah, that's better. That's a little bit better. I can, I can live with that. I want to know right off the bat, when was the last time you got ejected from a game? Um, I don't think I ever have. Ever, um, huh? That was the first no. one. No, I don't think I ever have. So, At um, any level? No. <laughs> okay, so was there a level of surprise? It didn't look like it was an ejection uh, worthy, but nevertheless, that's what it was. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I understand the, the, I guess the reasoning behind it in terms of him being obviously in the air, and um, obviously the fall didn't look great. <laughs> um, he obviously was pretty high up, and and. I, I spoke to him. I've, I've spoken to him, and I've, he, he was very well aware that it wasn't on purpose, and um, he, he was okay. Obviously, first and foremost, which was the, the main thing of, of the concern. But um, yeah, I was. I mean, I was trying to get out of his way. Once he, once I saw he was lining up to, to try and dunk it, that split second, I tried to kind of pull out and, and get out of the way, and he he kind of clipped the side of me and. Um, obviously had the fall, so um, I for sure thought it was going to be a flag of one. Um, I don't know exactly what the words and terming, uh, terminology is, but I didn't think it was that, but obviously they, they yeah. make the call, and at the end of, I mean, it is what it is. We won the game, and, and again, obviously I, I wanted to make sure he, he was okay, and, and he was, and um, someone actually sent me the clip after of him talking to the media, and he 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 said that he knew I didn't do it on purpose and, and stuff like that. So that's all good. Um, it is what it is. We move on. Seemed like it was a letter of the law type of thing. Yeah, I mean, I guess the interesting part is you see different nights things get called certain ways or not certain ways. I mean, it does. Like I said, it is what it is. Um. At the end of the day, like I said, I, I was hoping that he was okay because I think he grabbed his wrist or his, his elbow or something. Right. And um, obviously, I had zero intentions to, to hurt the kids. Um, even though the rest of the game, he locked up our guys. <laughs> He's a yeah. hell of a defender. Yeah. Um, but he was okay, and that, that's the main thing. So um, I'm glad we won. Um, but yeah, I won't be running back on transition defense anymore. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Quinn can't wait to hear that. <laughs> That'll bump him up. <laughs> yeah, we just can't risk it, Quinn. I don't dare do it. So get a sense. You're right. The important stuff here is you won the game and he's okay. So now let's get to the more interesting, unimportant stuff. When you get kicked out really early in a game, in a road game, like what do you do? 
you're not at home. You can't go home. Do you just sit in the locker and watch the game? Do they bring you the post-game spread at halftime? What do you do? Yeah, it's extremely boring. I can tell you that. <laughs> um, yeah, it was. I mean, I walked back there, and um, obviously Rudy Gay was back there um, with him not playing at the moment. Um, and it definitely helped me um, realize even more that I don't want to do any kind of video or scouting or anything because they were all just sitting there watching the game and obviously cutting up the film as it goes and. Um, we watch clips at half time and, and sometimes after the game or guys want their clips on the plane to watch to the next the next city or whatever and they're all sitting back there like coding the game and doing all that so it's definitely a, <laughs> a clear cut thing that I am not doing that when I retire um, yeah I had some food had a shower um, <laughs> Smoke. obviously watched the, watched the game watched, watched the game still um Call I your mean, wife. Yeah. I texted Renee. Yeah, Renee was texting me. I think Renee texted me. And she's actually listening right now, driving Jacob to school. But um, she texted me and was like, "All right, well, I'm going to go to bed because <laughs> I don't need to watch you." <laughs> yeah, she can get an early night. Um, yeah, it's not. Uh, it's not ideal. I won't be uh, putting myself in a position to do that again. Well, then you come back against the Nuggets and you have that outrageously hard foul against Green. What's going on? Oh, my gosh. That's, that's so typical of Jeff flopping like that, too. I said to the referee, I've played with him long enough to know he was going to fall over then. But, no, Jeff's my guy. I, he's genuinely one of my favorite people in the world. So three games in, and you've been through this so many times now. Is the uh, what? What is the level of urgency as far as getting better? I mean, I know you have to, and all that. You're you're beating some bad teams, or in the case of Denver, a team that's just incredibly shorthanded. Mary's out, and then Jokic goes out in the second quarter. That's like sixty-one million dollars worth of salary. And you guys are rolling. So is it? Are you able to create that urgency to get better when you're winning all the time? Oh, for sure. I think um, the the ease of it, I guess, is that we have. I, I guess we've we've played well in the regular season for for a few years now, um, and figured out different things that that are good and, and things that we've struggled with. And then, obviously, in the playoffs, um, I mean, what's the furthest we've been is, is the second round. So the, the whole season, you're you're figuring things out and, and working on things that weren't good from the year before or years before. Um, I mean, obviously, we're not preparing for the playoffs now, but, but you're doing stuff and, and trying to get better at things to, to make sure you are playing well at that time of the year. Um, obviously, for us, the, the switching defense has always been something that teams go to and, and whoever wants to judge it, whether it be successful or we, we've played well against it sometimes and we've, we've sucked against it sometimes. And, um, I mean, I think, I mean, obviously I didn't play the end, of, the, the end of Sacramento game, but watching it on TV, they went small with Harrison Barnes at the, the five and the guys did a hell of a job of, of beating it and, and defending too. I think we gave up like two or three points, two or four points or something like that in the last like three or four minutes of that game. And then last night, same thing with with Jamai or both greens out there uh, at certain times, um, and we were able to to 
I think one of the I said a post game with with Locke. Um, one of our things has been to, to realise when teams are switching and realise like that maybe not that first possession, but even if it is that first possession, being able to execute what we want to execute because there was times last night that we we knew when they were going to switch or or hedge and and try and get back and we were able to get off the ball and move the ball and we got layup after layup. Um, Realising defensively what we're trying to do when they when teams are small when the, when the bigs are popping or they're trying to get a certain match up and I think we've done a good job obviously very small sample size in three games and the amount of minutes we've had to do that but I think overall it's been been good and um, it's something we've we've focused on so I think for the, throughout the course of the year there's going to be different times that we we need to be switched on I think that that urgency of just knowing what we want to do, being ready every game, knowing who we're playing, knowing when certain lineups are out there, how we want to play. Um, and I think, obviously, again, small sample size, but so far we've been pretty good at it. Yeah, for sure. And you individually look extremely comfortable coming off the bench. I can make an argument that it's the most comfortable you've looked since you've been in that role and you've bounced back forth between starting and coming off the bench. It looks like that's what it's going to be. And it looks like, as I say, you're very comfortable. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I feel um, maybe not surprising to me or Renee or my family, but to maybe to other people. But I feel I feel really good. I, I obviously confident out there. My body probably feels up there with the best it's felt. Um, I obviously went straight to the Olympics, but then had a good break and. Um, obviously didn't play the preseason and all that and and probably at the time didn't know if that was a a good thing or not but now looking back uh, obviously I played an extra 15 games in the summer so I had the legs of of a game um, under me already and and just needed to to get a bit of a break and get away and um, yeah I just yeah I don't know I, I feel really good out there obviously the, the comfortableness that you're talking about is is obviously for being here for so long and, and being my eighth season and, and knowing what Quint wants and, and what he expects and um, familiarity with playing with, with the guys I play with now. Um, obviously, Hassan and Eric are kind of new to that, that second unit with, with a few of us, but um, yeah, I just feel, uh, I feel really good. I, I, yeah, I don't know what else to, to say. I feel like um, every year I've tried to get better or do something um, better or more efficient. Um, and I think, I mean, for me, it, it's it's no different. I'm going to go out there and play, play the way I play, try to help us win and, um, yeah, see what happens at the end of the year. Have you guys changed anything the way you're uh, doing anything that gets Rudy closer to the rim more often? He's grabbing 19 rebounds a game, and I know it's a small sample size, but that's like, 50% more rebounds than he was getting before, and he was already a really good rebounder. So is there any explanation for that, or is it just one of those things that's happened over three games? I don't know. He's probably got a bonus in his contract or something this year to get more rebounds. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, no, I think, uh, again, like I was saying about myself, every everybody goes away each year and tries to figure out something they can do better or something they can can kind of help the team with or, or improve on. And, and like you said, his rebounding is not necessarily like it needed improving, but um, we know how good we are when we are, when we aren't obviously giving up offensive rebounds that we can get out and run. And 
Um, I think probably not as much this year. I think Coach gave us a stat, which again, which is small sample size, but we were in the lower half of defensive rebounds um, to start this year off. So, um, Maruti's obviously a key to that. Hassan's a key to getting them. Um, he, he protect, well, they both protect the rim and um, I think for all of us to lock in on like getting a hit and, and getting the rebound because we are so good in transition we, we get out and run Rudy's on the rim we've got shooters out there uh, it's an advantage for us so we have to it's something we have to lock in on throughout the year and, and again obviously Rudy and Hassan are kind of the, the main pieces of that so you talk about how you feel really good and it's as good as you felt. And, and Mike Conley was talking about how he did yoga to make sure that he's doing everything he can to make himself in prime physical condition. Have you done anything different? Do you have a method that has gotten you to this point to where you feel so good? Um, I actually did some Pilates last year when during kind of COVID once we were allowed to do things um, with Renee. Renee and I would go down to a local spot with our uh, with our girl Sammy, and we we did it three times a week. I think that was something that that did definitely really helped me. Um, and I think the kind of just getting away from basketball, like not not just like running on the court or not just going and shooting every day. And um, I think as you get older, you you find different things to um, just kind of keep your body ticking over, or, or things that you learn over time. Like we've talked about, as you get older, you learn what you can eat and drink and not take or whatever you caffeine or how much you can have or all, all these things that we um, think about as, as athletes to try and get the best out of us, whether it be um, me not playing preseason this year. Like I, I've never not done that. I've always played at least a couple of the games. And again, I was kind of nervous a little bit, just thinking I would be underdone and, and obviously trusting um, the, the medical staff to, like no you'll be fine you've played enough games you've done enough running you've done enough lifting um and i think as you get older you figure i think one of the prime examples of that is is joe johnson i I still remember when he first got here and obviously he was um at the end of his career when, when we got him but he did hot yoga every game day and obviously that's not for everybody because it's kind of dehydrating as well if you don't drink enough fluids and all that but that was what he did and he loved it and it was good for his body and he would do that before our shoot rounds um so it's just just as you get older i think different things and, and different people find things and um i haven't done much different this year obviously with the, the turnaround of time just because of the olympics and and obviously kind of getting back and spending some time with renee and the kids and then it was kind of we were right back into it but um I think a part of it as well, sorry for the the long answer, but um, it's just being being home, being comfortable and settled at home and the, the kids and, and Renee and, and everything, um, I guess away from basketball is, is, is in a really good spot. The kids are really happy. Jacob's dominating therapy. Jack's 11 months and nearly walking and, and Renee's in a good spot with... Um, kind of a good group of friends now here over the time and um, for me that's obviously very settling to, to have that so um, yeah it's just all, all around things are, things are good yeah the American way of life really is good Joe I'm glad you've seen it 
No, it's our Australian um, <laughs> culture we have in our household. Still resisting, jeez, <laughs> after all these years. And yet he's raising got, a president, so, yeah, you know. An American one. ties to him. No, we already cut his passport off. He's only got an Australian one now. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, you are you are mixing a little Australian and American culture here. You got a luncheon coming up. What is going on here? How do people get involved? What's the deal? Explain it to us. We do. Um, obviously, everyone that's followed us and, and Jacob's journey um, and what we tried or have tried to, to raise awareness for and, and, and funding. Obviously, um, we are on the board of Culture City, who do amazing things in, in this space. And um, November November twelfth. Um, we have a luncheon at the Grand America Hotel. Um, it's 11 o'clock till 2 o'clock. Um, entertainment, some talks, obviously the, the, the money from the tickets and tables that are available and, and some sponsorships um, is being 100% donated to, to raising awareness and, and obviously the funding of, of families and stuff that need it, sensory rooms that are needed. Um, yeah, there's some, some pretty cool guests coming. Um, there is still tickets available, which is um, we want it to be sold out. So I, I'm going to tweet the link today. Um, I'll I'll put it up on my, my social media today, but there, there's tickets available. We'd love people to come. Um, hopefully Quinn doesn't put practice on that day because I'll have to miss it. Um, but no, it's just a... Like I said, it's obviously something we're extremely passionate about. We went to the the Culture City Ball um, in Alabama this summer, and you just when you're around these people, um, you realise how much good they're doing, and, and we're trying to do everything in our power to to assist with that. And um, there's some pretty uh, wealthy people here in Utah now, so we'd love <laughs> them all to come and um, be a couple of things uh, auctioned off or, or given away on the day and. Um, yeah, like I said, I'll, I'll post the, the link on my social media um, today, and, and Renee does all the time. And um, yeah, if anyone can come, we, we'd love you to be there. So Surely twelve eighty can buy a table. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean DJ with all the money he's making with the two jobs, no question about it. Uh, November twelfth at the Grand American. Yes, tell your boss. Yeah, tell your boss, DJ. I will tell my boss. <laughs> all right, Joe. We'll look for that on social media. And uh, put it out there and uh, tag us and we'll probably retweet it because we know you because you've done our show for eight years. You've done my show. So. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> You're consistent. Yes, he is. You got to give him that, man. All right. All right. Thanks, Joe. We appreciate it. No worries. Thanks, guys. There's Joe Ingles. When we return, what is trending? Stay with us. Your day has just begun. Yeah. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? ready. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah. Hashtag Utah Jazz. Obviously, it's a new team, new season. Still trying to find my way. But, again, I've been in this role before where you're not really the star player. You're not going to get the ball a lot. So you find a way to impact the game in different ways. So I feel like a lot of it goes to Villanova and, and even Coach Quinn. Coach Quinn's done a great job just giving me confidence to go out there and bring energy and allow me to be me. Eric Paschal talking about finding his role with the Jazz. They're back at it tonight in Houston against the Rockets. 3-0, and trying to get to 4-0. and and the Rockets, PK, in the midst of a massive rebuilding project. 
Yeah, I can relate to Eric, you know? I've never been the star. I'm just trying to find my role. Do what I can. Help. Role player. I can relate. Pasco's in that role. As far as the Rockets. They are rebuilding. They are reloading. They got some young players, though, that I enjoy watching. They got uh, Christopher they picked up in the draft. Josh Green, I think he was uh, the G League dude where he's getting paid and then going to the league. They got uh, Porter. They got Robert Ory. You know, they got some guys. Got some holdovers, you know. Eric Gordon is still there. Kenny Smith? Nope. <laughs> I'm actually surprised Eric Gordon is still there. He's got value. You think they would move him? Do one of those Oklahoma City deals? Move him? Get a young player and or draft picks? Yeah, it's probably coming. I mean, they did that with P.J. Tucker last season. Uh, Christian Wood's giving him 20-plus points a he's game. He's a nice big man, yeah. yeah. All right, game starts at 6 o'clock. And Pre-game then, starts at 5 right here in the zone. Is Hornacek still on the staff? Because usually, you know, when he's coaching, he rubs his face to let him let me know he's thinking of me. Used to do that for his kids at the free throw line. And well, they're older now. So now it's one for works you. for Fox. What's her name? Abby. She's running around doing all sorts of stuff. Uh, and yeah, so yeah, he, he he taps his face and thinks of me and gives me a, a little wink. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. Towns off the ant. Down the lane in the two handed rim rocking dunk. Big swing there as the Bucks turn it over on a four-on-two, and Ant runs it right back down their throats at the other end. Dancing on the dribble, steps back, pump fakes, leans in, launches for three. It's off the backboard and get at the buzzer. Oh my goodness! Shea Gildas Alexander, Chaching Thunder Moneyball. The bank is open for him on this glorious Wednesday night. Box with the inbounds to Barnes. He turns. He fires for the win. He's got the bucket at the buzzer. Harrison Barnes has just nailed a buzzer-beating three. The Kings win it 110-107. The Lakers, the Clippers, the Suns, the Bucks, and the Nets all go down to defeat. Pick your favorite big dog that took a hit last night, PK, because a lot of them got beat including both NBA finalists from a year ago. Oh, I think it's always fun when the Lakers lose. And 26 was, points up yeah. in Oklahoma City. Yeah, I think that tied the largest comeback in the franchise history they were talk, talking about. I was watching the end of that game, and the Thunder just tried to trip over themselves multiple times. We let an offensive rebound, then, then they had an inbounds pass they threw away, then they couldn't get the ball over the half court in time, all the time. They're up three. <laughs> and so they got three shots at it. To make it a two-possession yeah. game and take the and, heat off. And, and Well, no, to, to tie it. Or, or to, oh, to Thunder to make it a two-possession game. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I got you. That's my bad. And uh, Monk had an, air, had an air ball. Carmelo had an air ball. Oh, Carmelo's. Yeah. He said he didn't catch it clean. That didn't come anywhere close. Yeah, that was wide right that, and short. And short and wide yeah. and everything else, yeah. And then the end of the game, they throw a pass, and it's a desperate situation. And the kid, what's his name, uh, Basley, intercepts it. And, and he could have just dribbled, dribbled out, out the clock. He goes in for the dunk, and I'm thinking, uh-oh. <laughs> sure enough. <laughs> and you couldn't see Westbrook on the screen. But I'm thinking, uh-oh, he ain't going to like that. <laughs> and sure enough, don't do that. You don't do that. You don't do that. And he was just going to town and he got tossed. Yeah. 
<laughs> because I, and I couldn't see the, 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 all the Lakers were back on the other side, and I just thought to myself, this isn't going to be good. Sure enough. Thunder take down the Lakers 123-115. Last year we kept talking about the, the Cavs. Well, you know they got a couple of nice young guys who can score. They're getting some good guard play there. You gotta check out Sexton. this. Yeah, you gotta check out this Colin Sexton kid. And he goes for 26. The Cavs beat the Clippers 92 to 79. That'll catch your eye. Yeah, I think it's one of those games for the Clippers. 79 is such a low number in any era, but especially in this era. About 25 points below what you expect, but two quarters in the teens. They had 14 in the first and 15 in the fourth, and they didn't come anywhere near winning that game. Paul George, 12 points on 6 of 20 shooting. And he's been playing very well. He had an off night. Did you know that Kevin Love and Clay Thompson played in the same little league in Oregon? And But they're on different teams, and Kevin Love once beamed him in the back. I did not know that. Yeah. Kings beat the Suns. You heard Harrison Barnes' game winner there. Should we get excited? Is Sacramento onto something here? Could it actually happen? Did it finish 500? Sure. Let's get, yes, baby steps. Well, if that's the case with the Kings and they finish 500, that's bad news for Walton. They'll probably fire him. <laughs> He's got some confidence going. Get him out of here. Get back to the bottom where we belong. Start over. Look at this guy. He, he might know what he's doing. <laughs> and the Nets... I heard some stuff on uh, Harden. You know that uh, you're talking about how they have this emphasis early on. They're not yep. calling these fouls. Yeah, and his free throw numbers are way well, down. He's only had 15 in five games. And the last time he had 15 over five games was over a decade ago. Wow. Yeah. He beat the Nets 106 to 93. I think his last two years with the Rockets, there were 40 games that he had at least. 15 free throws. Wow. He is getting the brunt of these new rules. He's come off of that now in his discussion about rather that let Nash do that. And now Jim James is talking about he had the hammy and he didn't play any basketball in the summer. It was rehab. So he feels like he's still in the rehab, returning from rehab process. That's what he's moved away from the refereeing now. Well, he's playing 36 minutes. His line is okay, but it's not James Harden MVP-ish. 14 points, 7 rebounds, 7 assists. I think he's 16, 8, and 7 on the season. Yeah. Which is pedestrian for him. For him. Certainly in the scoring. Yes. Other players would be very excited by those numbers, but that's not the ballpark. Jared Butler, for instance. He'd be very excited. And the champs, the Bucks, got beat by the Minnesota Timberwolves, one thirteen to one oh eight. Jazz are going to see the Bucks on Sunday. So Milwaukee, a little, little up and down here to start, start things off this year. They are three and two with a home loss. So uh, the Joker had tests on his knee, no structural damage after banging knees with Rudy Gobert Tuesday. It is officially a knee contusion. So we ought to be seeing the. Denver center back pretty soon. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. Do you want to see a red Probably, yeah. I, I think that there should be. Did you like Especially with some of the things that were, I guess, uh, charged. Yeah, I, I believe so. I think people believe that deserve it, especially the people that were, quote, victims. 
Raider owner Mark Davis says he wants to report on the Washington football team investigation. Obviously, some stuff was linked, and he had to fire his head coach over it. And nothing has been said about Washington and the original investigation. It's all been hush, hush. Hush, hush. Heard you calling my name now, hush, hush. Thursday night football, Packers. Cardinals, 6-1 Green Bay, Arizona, 7-0 for the first time since 1974. Never been 8-0. Are they going to get it done? Be tough, man. 6-20 tonight, Fox and the NFL Network. High-end Thursday night football matchup. J.J. Watt needs soldier surgery that could end his season, likely will end his season. That's a blow. Obviously, he's a big name, and they picked him up from Houston. He was ruled out for tonight, and then now they're talking about he's going to be ruled out for the rest of the season. Jeez. Now, that's not anything new because the most games he's played in three of the last five seasons have been eight. And he's used to having injury issues, but that's a, that's a blow to them, man, because he's tallied ten quarterback hits, one sack, and two passes defended and forced a fumble. Devontae Adams not on the trip to Arizona, although there are reports that they could still fly him down there and he could still play, but it looks like he's probably not going to. Make a drive, you know, if he doesn't want to fly. Wouldn't make it. Wouldn't make it? Nope, not enough time now. Well, if he's coming from Green Bay, but how do you, he may be coming from Scottsdale. <laughs> Just cross town. Rams owner Stan Kroenke might be trying to back away from his promise to cover tens of millions of dollars in legal expenses related to the team's 2016 departure from St. Louis. NFL owners had a league meeting. Apparently, a lot of owners were upset. Multiple owners, including the Giants owner, saying, well, we wouldn't let you move if we knew that. You'd still be in St. Louis. That's not true. (laughs) Al Davis just rolled over. (laughs) Well, he could have gone anyway. (laughs) We wouldn't have let you move. Who's the Giants on? They still owned by the Mars? Yeah, the Mara family. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. A lawsuit alleging sexual harassment in a hostile workplace environment against former Arizona coach Rich Rodriguez in the university was dismissed earlier this month. Both sides pay only their own costs and attorney fees. The stipulated dismissal ends four years of legal issues involving Rodriguez, the university, and a former administrative assistant who first made the allegations in 2017. So Arizona can move on past all of that. LSU unable to practice. Too many injuries, Ed Orgeron says. LSU is on a bye week, and they're going to play number four Alabama when they return from the bye week. So don't blame me if we get our butts kicked by Alabama because we didn't have enough players to practice last week. What am I supposed to do? I didn't get enough guys. I got the horses. I can't even put them out in the race, you know? So how am I supposed to win? It's not going to happen. You know what I'm saying? If your voice were a little scratchier, you'd be onto something there. I don't know how you can fake the scratchiness now. I don't know what you're supposed to do about that. That was pretty good. I could sing really loud for like 10 minutes. No, thanks. Let's all three of us do an Ed or John. You try. No. Come on. Have some fun. He tells me, Yawk, you got to be more fun. You got to be peppy. You got to be light in the morning. Come on. You come in. You're so cranky to start the show. And I try to do it. I try to do it. And he just rejects me. Not at all. I told you that was pretty good. But I want you two to do it. Go tag us. That's good. Yeah, decent. 
Go Tigers! <laughs> How was that? Awful. Weak, but what the hell? I know, I didn't want to yeah, follow. Yours was supposed to be Yours weak. was pretty good. I didn't want to try to follow that. Ah. I wasn't going to beat that. Come on. Go I'm Tigers! Not, I'm not Lavelle. Go Tigers! Croton that there. was a better one, just barely. Yeah, better. just barely better. Thank Deeper. You. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. Drew Smiley on the mound now. His first appearance of this World Series. Driven to left field. Hooking down the line. She's gone. She's gone. Altuve goes deep for the 22nd time in his postseason history. Second most all time. Tied with Bernie Williams at 22. Astros lead at 7-2 because of the little big man. Astros handle the Braves easily. World Series now tied at a game apiece, 7-2, the final score. I hate all the most home runs in postseason history, all that kind of stuff. The postseason's bigger. They get to play division series now. And, of course, there's a whole generation that got to play league championship series, and there's a generation that only played World Series. Yeah, we were playing four to seven postseason games. Plus, there's a generation that never got to play because the Yankees always did. There's that. 1-1 now, they go to Atlanta. And a roller derby team that has called itself the Cleveland Guardians since 2013 has sued the Major League Baseball team. Team formerly known as the Cleveland Indians is switching to the Guardians next season. They say that's trademark infringement. A Major League club cannot simply take a smaller team's name and use it for itself, the lawsuit said. There cannot be two Cleveland Guardians teams in Cleveland. And to be blunt, Plaintiff was here first. Well, good for Plaintiff. I don't understand why they didn't name themselves the Tunes. You got the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame right down the road. Yeah. I've literally made the walk from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to the baseball stadium to see a game. It's not much of a walk, but it's half a mile maybe. Yeah. Uphill away from the lake. Have something reflective of the the Tunes. Apparently the Guardians is. Apparently that's popular in Cleveland. I've never heard of it. Yeah, but you already got the roller derby team. Come on. (laughs) This can be negotiated. Hey, Dave, for the roller derby team. The tunes. You're going to play the tunes. Doesn't that just sound cool? Let's play the tunes. I can't believe they picked a new name without researching what uh, trademarks had already been registered. There's got to be more uh, to this story. Yeah, they're Cleveland. You ever been to Cleveland? Those people I are so been. arrogant. I have been to they Cleveland. just figured, screw you. We're the baseball team. We're going to do... Or, or just keep it as the Cleveland baseball team. Ah. Uh. <laughs> You want some separation in life, right? It's like a guy walking in the park. He's got a big dog. He thinks, look at me. I've got a big dog. You know what I mean? Or the guy goes to some party and he just dominates the conversation because nobody ever listens to him. Here's his chance. He thinks he's funny. Blah, blah, blah. He wants some separation. So you want some separation? The Cleveland baseball team. Or the Toons. Name me a better nickname than the Toons. DJ and PK. Hashtag RSL. In and out to slow things out. That's Rizak shooting and scoring. Oh, no. Seconds away from entering into stoppage time. An absolutely mammoth goal for Real Salt Lake in their playoff hopes. And a heartbreaker for FC Dallas. RSL trailing most of the match. Scores two late goals. Gets the win on the road in a place they'd only won once ever in 20 tries. Well, Crylock in the eight. Yeah. Crylock in the, the equalizer. His fifteenth goal. That's just awesome. 
And then Albert Rusnak, the game winner oh, in the 90s. Oh, big minute. Al. Allie Roos. <laughs> big Al. He's used big that, Al. He's used that name a few times this year. He used to be a security guy. We always referenced at the Jeez. jazz games. The Big Al, what's up? Of course, he was bigger than little Roosney. Little <laughs> Roosney. <laughs> Clutch late goals. From the two guys oh, who are yeah. supposed to be scoring big goals. They got them done. And no, it's the same thing. As you just see the ball go through the net and you get confidence. <laughs> Justin Merrim <laughs> off the bench. Tagged one that hit the frame. Oh, man. Is that soccer talk? Yes. It's tagged? You got to say oh, tagged? that's one. I mean, it's random. Also hitting the frame. I got uh-huh. the frame. I mean, yeah. that makes but I didn't know if tag. It was right near the corner. It was more crossbar than post, but it was no, right I've near the seen it. You don't need to describe it. I well, seen it. Not everybody saw it. Afterwards, did you like to what post game? Not interview? everybody's seen it. Not everybody's seen it. Sarcel, we're in the pennant stretch. <laughs> what the hell were they watching? <laughs> Probably the World Series. Jeez, come if I, on. If I had to, or the Lakers losing. <laughs> no, no, I had it on my television and I was listening on the app, on the stream to KSL. There you go. Because I'm loyal. (laughs) (laughs) Suck up. Well done. Well done. So they temporarily moved to fifth, but then results came in later in the night. They have settled into seventh place right now. They got three games left. Most teams have two, so they got a game in hand, an extra game there. And they got San Jose coming in on the weekend. What do they say about a game in the hand? What's that? (laughs) And why did I get some... Somebody messaged me about having balls in the air or something. Did you, you put, oh, there, did you so something? there's there, there was a pregame quote from Pablo about basically because they were starting Bobby Wood, they now have a second guy who's very good at crosses, and he needs to, we have to remember the guys who are going to balls in the air. And somebody in junior high, uh, you know, made some junior high. Well, jokes. that got down to me. I know he tweeted it at you. He thought I don't oh, know, yeah. Oh, okay. And I thought PK's not watching a pregame show. He'll be here for the game, <laughs> but there's too many games on for him to be watching pregame. Like shows. He was eating dinner. Yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah. Eat dinner. There's multiple. At 6 o'clock, RSL started and the World Series started. Because uh, Wednesday nights is uh, Lone Star uh, Shrimp Burrito Night. Nice. That's a win. I was out trunk or treating. Trunk or treating? What is trunk or treating? Trick or treating. You just out of the trunk of a car. You go to like really? a parking lot. Oh yeah, you haven't heard of this. And you I, go to you know, actually I have. These happen at schools, at churches, at uh, it was uh, this is BYU. BYU. Last night. Yeah, yeah. So wherever BYU there's like a big school? parking lot, a group that's like a community but not a neighborhood will put on an event, and the, everyone pulls up their cars. And the you university did it. Yeah, BYU did it. Their athletes did it. Student athletes. Oh, all the all the Football, sports folks. Basketball, yeah. Okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Well, Jake, like one fun. of the bosses is listening and appreciate you well, sucking it up. That's why I said it for him. I knew it would be. <laughs> I almost said, and that's for you, Nate. <laughs> <laughs> the individual <laughs> specifics. I did. I said it's the corporate wide suck up. <laughs> the individual. No, because he has a great sense of humor, and I knew he would enjoy it. I don't know the other people yet. <laughs> all right, RSL gets the win with two late goals. And now they're back home to face San Jose Saturday afternoon at 1.30. Three games to go in the season for them, and the playoff race continues. What is Trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Coming up, Mike Barber, Virginia and ACC writer for the Richmond Times-Dispatch. 830 Lincoln Kennedy, Raider radio analyst, Pac-12 network analyst. 
And Brian Getzeiler, founder of HoopsCritic.com. NBA TV analyst, Sirius XM NBA Radio, coming up at 9 o'clock. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The new zone lineup is here with the best coverage of the sports you love and the teams you can't live without. Catch DJ and PK mornings from 6 to 10, followed by Jake Scott and Ben Anderson from 10 to noon. Get your daily fix of Hans and Scotty from noon to 3. And then the zone welcomes unrivaled with Alex Curie and former NFL quarterback Scott Mitchell to the team. Weekdays from 3 to 6, live and local. All day, every day. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. Time for Hot Takes Your Toes, brought to you by Utah Facial Plastics. Losing your hair, it's 2021, and you don't have to. UFP Hair Restoration offers a range of cutting-edge therapies to restore thick hair permanently. Just text HAIR to 801-960-3137 for 15% off any hair loss treatment, or visit www.utahairmd.com. All right, question of the day here. BYU getting ready to host Virginia. Bronco Mendenhall returns to Provo where he won 99 games for BYU over 11 years. What's the one thing you think of when we say Bronco Mendenhall? (laughs) He was a lightning rod while he was here. Absolutely. And the youths fully embraced this question, I must add. I mean, I personally love the guy, but I know others didn't. Some of his own fan base didn't. True story. Tyler says, Whittingham domination. Later, but not early on. Early wait, on, wait, they wait. were splitting games. Okay. That could be Whittingham domination, meaning Whittingham dominated him. But I think I, th- I took it that way. That's what I meant. I thought that's what they meant, actually. Okay. I, because I Whittingham dominated Mendenhall. Now, early on... You know, Kyle's team won the first game. Broncos' team won the second game. That was the best of the rivalry. Yeah. Broncos' team won the third game. Kyle's team won the fourth game. You know, back and forth it went. And and those first five games were all, well, uh, not 08 so much. That got broken open in the third quarter. But the other games, they, they were epic. The first game was overtime. But just the hatred. Oh, the intensity. You're getting caught up in stats and nuts and bolts. I don't know. I'm not. I'm getting caught up in games that went to the final play. You remember them all. You're lying. But I can't tell you 2008 was this game or that game. You can recall it as if it's right in front of you. I can say, yeah, I know Beck to Harleen, and I know a missed field goal, and I know an overtime pass, but I I just can't recite them and assign the year. I just remember the vitriol. The hatred. I remember that, too. The disgust. I remember that, too. Those things are all true. That's way more fun to me. That's what I live for. <laughs> I like the games. <laughs> I like the games. I games like are o- games! I like the overtime last play. Oh, sure. the ball was just beyond his hands. I, I got it. But games are games, man. <laughs> Kyle having a hilarious lineup. The blo- I told him he's going to go out there and block the field goal. Because, of course, I always tell him to go. I just did it this time. <laughs> I love the... The contention. The loathing. The anger. The loathing is an excellent word. Yes. yes. All those things that went into it. We had Ronnie Mack and Lavelle. Who hates those guys? No, they played an epic game and then went and shot a commercial. <laughs> hey, come on. Those, Which was hilarious. One of, us, one of them is gone and we miss him. The other one is just a treasure in our community. 
Ronnie Mack. Yep. Who doesn't like Ronnie Mack? Everybody loves him. When his All time true. comes, which hopefully isn't for many, many years, uh, and we're allowed to have services, the line will be out the door. Yep. <laughs> and so you got those two guys that just buds did a radio show for uh, with Scotty for how long? Uh, years. Yeah. And then everything changed. Yeah. They did one thing together, that kidney foundation thing, and they were photoshopped into that ad. Yeah. <laughs> we'll do it together. That's what a rivalry's about. I hate everything about them. They're classless. Oh, that's Max. <laughs> yeah, but that was that wasn't Kalani. No, it wasn't. <laughs> it was not. You don't think that went hand in hand? I think yeah, there's a, a large degree. At I think least it did. minimally there's a connection. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. There was, there was a snowball effect there. Everybody's getting caught up in the rivalry. It was getting more intense. Fans got caught up in it. He didn't like how his family was treated. So, yeah, it's a big snowball, in fact. And I supported the way his family was treated wrongly. And no, then Mama Hall, well, I had heard stuff. That's why I asked the question, because right. I knew the backstory. And plus, I knew Max was one Not. of the greatest overachievers in BYU football history. And it had fueled him. Didn't have a big arm, wasn't a big kid, wasn't fast, but yet he was the winningest quarterback of all time at BYU. Now, he got to play in a lot of games because he started as a sophomore. He played one uh, end of the season with a grade two separated shoulder that they tried to keep quiet. I think he injured it in Wyoming. The guy was as tough as can be. And look at him now. He's battling back from intense personal issues, right? Addiction. That's serious, serious stuff. So, yeah, I had heard all that stuff. Maybe not every single, but maybe not all of it. But I heard a lot of it, and I knew he was breathing fire. And so I asked a question. And then Mama Hall on the, at Sammy Boyd Stadium comes up to me and gets in my face. And me being the ultimate gentleman... Chivalry is my middle name, Patrick C. Kinahan. <laughs> I just said, I'm sorry, Mrs. Hall, that okay. you feel that way. Yeah. Sure, it's on tape. You can look it up. Go back in your archives. Or did you, when you, when you guys uh, uh, asked me, did you just erase all my, all my stuff? Because I was holding a Channel 2 microphone. We had a Channel, channel 2 camera guy shooting it. Right nice. There. Yeah. I don't think it made the archives, would be my guess. Oh, yeah, because I knew I was never appreciated. If it didn't air, which I don't think it did. No, it didn't. Then we wouldn't have any archives. That's what's in the archives. Yeah, but you have, like, uh, not a lot of raw tape. Screwed no. up stuff, don't you? That, that doesn't <laughs> the bloopers. What are they called? Bloopers. That was what I was looking for. Bloopers. Thanks. Yeah, bloopers. <laughs> uh, Aaron says, uh, what do I think of when I hear uh, Bronco's name? Uh, the level of criticism usually matches the level of education of the coaches. Wait. He tweaked was, an old was, quote. Okay, I'm he trying tweaked, to figure out. He tweaked an old, coat, old quote. BYU fans are freaking stupid. That's what he just said. He's thinking about Bronco <laughs> going after fans. Aaron says, I think of the quest for awkward perfection. Again, tweaking an old quote. You have to admit there, especially when he got it going, which was very, very quick. He goes 6-6, six and six, marvelous, unbelievable coaching job that first season. And then the next four years, wins 43 games. For someone who was so wildly successful, he was never just universally embraced by his own fan base, which was weird in a way, because you want your football team 
to win. You don't want them to be a bunch of uh, guys getting arrested like uh, Urban had. You want them to be decent people, and you want them to win. And, and any team, your pro team, whatever team, you want them to be decent people, you want them to win. And BYU did that, but yet there was never that the level of adoration. outpouring of yeah. love that there right. should have been. The level of adoration never matched the win percentage. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, Majerus was dumping on people left and right, and I know so many people, well, yeah, when he saw my son at the mall, he gave him a T-shirt. I get all that. But it doesn't take away from all, all the, the mistreatment. Yeah. But yet he was so beloved, and people defended him to the nth degree. Ann says, my son was lucky enough to play for Bronco. We love and respect Bronco, and we loved our consistent 8 to 11 wins per season. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm not sure. I don't recognize the name McLaughlin as a football player, so I'd have to look it up in terms of when he played there. Was Believe he a punter? Me. Punter, yeah. Yeah. Kicker or punter. Yeah, that's the best I can come up with, but I'm not sure when he actually was a, a kicker or punter, uh, so I don't know. But, yeah, he they, they, sure, they sure won, man. Brooks says, quest for perfection. They didn't do it that year, but the Utes did. And, of course, his avatar is red and says BBYU. Well, they did then if they got their quest for perfection. Uh, Steve just cuts to the chase and says, I think of a great coach. Okay. All right. A lot of winning. Larry says he fixed a mess of a program and helped promote faith and toughness. True. Didn't get as much run. Maybe he didn't do it in the later times, but when he was a defensive coordinator, the whole toughness thing on a cold day, he'd be out there in a simple T-shirt. Well, in shorts. Uh, Croton was ticked at the team maybe his last year. Uh, they they were scheduling classes or something in the afternoon, uh, so they couldn't have a spring practice. So he moved it up and had it in the morning. And they were like literally snow plows were snow, moving the it was snow off. February, I think, yeah, right? Yeah, it started in February. And Bronco shows up at 6 a.m. in shorts and a T-shirt and a whistle and a cap. Toughness. <laughs> no excuses. Which is ironic that he and Kyle were not best of friends or not even close because there was Kyle, some stuff in common. He personifies toughness. No, I think it's all just a, you know it's a front because I think he's very soft. very soft. You call him very soft. soft. <laughs> very soft. Very tender. Hoping this gets back to him. <laughs> I don't care if it gets back to him. I speak the truth when it comes to him. You know. He just, uh, you know, loves cooking, loves the theater. You know what I mean? I just saw a new one, Travis. I think of position mastery. Nice. That's that was a stilted mobility elements, position mastery. They play like they're prepared. Jared, we got to execute at a high level. Ex- ex- yeah, he did say that. I think too. My own interpretation is I think he got caught up, in a sense, in his own greatness. Because he took virtually the same roster. Right. Goes 6-6 six and six the next year. The following year, goes 1-2 and two and then doesn't lose again. And then just destroys Oregon, right? So you had that going on there. And I think he thought, hey, I'm really good. I can coach up anybody. And that led to the, hey, let's not have any more of this four-star, five-stuff, number one ranking. Yeah, because you they're recruit, entitled. You rec- right. And you he recruit hated us. that. You recruit us. Yeah. We don't recruit you. And he goes down that road. He hated any sense of entitlement. Right. Just because that's not who he was. Right. 
He had to go the JC route. He had to battle. BYU wouldn't take him, but he battled and got into the Pac-10. Yeah, yeah. And you, you are, uh, to an extent, your background. I mean, when they hired Ty Corbin, I did a like a 100-inch piece on him. 100 inches in a newspaper. Like five times which, a normal story. Which is, I wasn't working Massive. for the newspaper at the time, but we did it on the internet here, mm-hmm. so it didn't matter. But, you know, he talked about how every year he'd come to camp and have to battle some rookie for his job, and he'd beat him out. And it, it got under his skin. Like, wait a second, I've proven myself, but you keep getting somebody thinking this player XYZ, what about me? And so then he was reluctant to do to, that. To play rookies. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm not going to hype up this rookie <laughs> right. and take away this veteran's gig. Because he had gone through it himself about having to fight to make a roster. And Ty Corbin, for a role player, in the role player form, he had an excellent career. And he lasted a great number of years by being a role player. Sloan loved the guy. You can see why. And so your reflection of a lot of what you've gone through in your life makes sense, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Joe says, a little odd, but his players love playing for him. He has my respect. I think there's a lot of truth to that one. Oh, for sure. He was a little odd. Yeah. His players, when you talk to him, they did love playing for him. I respect him immensely. I respected him so much or in the time I was covering him. And it's no accident that he's gone to Virginia and built them up. If I could describe one word in Bronco, it would be deep. I think he's a very deep man. He's a deep thinker. And he has a purpose for what he's trying to do. Not, I, I don't know that he could ever coach at an Alabama-type place. You know, because you got to have the five stars. And I don't know that that would mesh. Right. Because when you've been told when you're you was, an NFL kid from the time you're 12, 13, <laughs> that, it just doesn't, that right. doesn't sit well because that's not who Bronco was. He, he, would have to be, he would have to figure out how to um, deal with the entitlement, which he would face. Maybe it would be easier to place that over, had overwhelming entitlement everywhere because I think those coaches do have to deal with it, and some of them deal with it poorly. But who was it? It was, um, it was Leach, I think, who was just talking about Saban saying, I'm impressed with the way he recruits the best guys, but he coaches them all hard. And maybe there is something to when everybody is entitled. You can say, guys, you're all five stars. You all think you're going to the NFL, and only 22 you're going to start, so you're going to have to work hard. Sure. You're all super gifted physically. I was thinking beyond the football, though. Mm. I was thinking the amount of attention that comes with being yeah. the Alabama coach. And all the boosters. He doesn't like that. No, you're right about that. All the boosters who... Have their hands in the program and that. Ugh. Right. He doesn't. That's just not who he is. Yeah. Not so much the entitled players, but all the entitled people around. And the every word Saban says yeah. is news. I, but he would. He, that's. He must feel smothered. I'm not in Alabama. I don't know. But he must feel smothered. Now he, he must. He he actually revels in it. I suppose. But we know Bronco doesn't, and that's what he had here. Right. All right. DJ and PK coming up. We're talking Virginia with Mike Barber, ACC writer for the Richmond Times-Dispatch. We'll get the lowdown on the Cavs and BYU at 8 o'clock. Lincoln Kennedy is talking Pac-12 and Raiders at 8.30. And we're talking NBA with Brian Geltseiler, founder of HoopsCritic.com at 9 o'clock. Right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. This is Hanson Scotty. Let's do it. 
Utah needs to be able to get two yards on a fourth down when they're behind. I'm not throwing Andy Ludwig under the bus for the fourth down play. I just think that there could have been more running the stinking football. They ran the ball on first down, did not on second, third, and fourth. I'm sure that these coaching staffs get sick of hearing the second guessing. And in their mind, they're like, fine, you come in and call but it. But Kyle second guessed it. tough, which is easy for him to do, too. I'm sure Andy Ludwig is probably sitting down with him like, hey, Kyle, so what did we talk about in fourth down situations? Well, if they showed this, then we do that. So what did they show, Kyle? This. And if I'm Kyle Whittingham, like, so how many points did we score on that drive? Zero. Okay, don't effing do that ever again. <laughs> and don't you ever have that condescending voice with me ever again, Andy. <laughs> what kind of a show is this? Catch Hans Olsen and Scotty G every day from noon to 3 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. Football Friday is presented by Mountainland Supply, where the pros go for plumbing, landscaping, irrigation, agricultural irrigation, HVAC parts, tools, and safety equipment. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. Question of the morning. We say Bronco Mendenhall. What do you think of? Ben tweets at us. Roscoe or spirit, honor, integrity, and tradition? Uh, Integrity is implied. (laughs) Right. It was spirit, honor, and tradition. Yeah. Bill says football is third. It's not third. Did he say fifth? Yeah, football is fifth. What were the other four? Family. Um, Faith. Pickleball? Pickleball. Yes, pickleball. (laughs) And school, I think. I think that was it. Family, faith. I don't have them in order, I don't think. I think it was faith, family. I can't remember. Okay, give me the other four, though. I I don't think I can. Family and faith, I remember. Well, that's, and I think school. I think school was in there somehow. School. Some way, education. I don't know what it was. You do enough to graduate, <laughs> right? Exactly. Get I your mean, degree. Did anybody ever ask you your GPA? No. As a matter of fact, <laughs> in college, when my grades were mediocre, I specifically said I'm not going to grad school. The GPA is irrelevant. I'm either going to have a degree or I'm not. I got mine. Tell me right. what I need to get. I got it. I didn't. I had time for other stuff. Yeah. Now, hopefully my kids aren't listening. But <laughs> <laughs> my son, that came up because my son asked me my GPA. He was shocked at how low it was. <laughs> See, what you needed to do, though, is like I did. And then you just tell them your GPA, and it shows up from ASU, which was a full grade better than any. NAU was a debacle. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason you left NAU. Yeah. It wasn't trending well. No, no, not at all. So my GPA, I think, it was like two nine uh, at ASU. That's about what mine was too. But I that's all they showed up. Just, right. You want my transcript? Sure, I'll send them to you from <laughs> ASU. <laughs> that's where I got my diploma. <laughs> Luke says him fighting with suspenders, boy, with PK watching. Oh man, Jake Scott too. There was no fight. There was just intimidation. Uh, I, you know, I can still see that look, and I can remember I'm, that Twitter was new then, right? So Jake and I. And you can go look. There's video I have on a yellow shirt, a yellow button-down shirt, not a golf shirt. And Jake is right to my right. And you can see the shirt stands out because it's yellow. Because mm-hmm. i got to make sure I don't wear any colors that come You can't close. wear red and blue. Yeah, I know. Right, right. I have stories about the color yellow as well. Go right. ahead. So uh, I tweet that out, and then I got some Ute fans just coming at me like, oh, you just made that up. And then later on in the week, the video actually comes out. Uh-huh. And you can see it. And I can I can still see Bronco. The, the eyes go to the left side of his eyeballs. And the look on his face, I backed up. <laughs> and he would, we never had a crossword. And man, he took a couple steps and that dude just shrunk. Like he, he melted like the wicked witch of the West. 
<laughs> he tries to get in his face. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> there is a photo with him clearly uh, in retreat mode. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've seen the photo. Because right. I wasn't at the game. I was in the studio. Right. I'm not right. more than five yards away. I witnessed the whole thing. No, you told me about, <laughs> hey, there's photos. Go find them, blah, blah, blah. And I said, the first photo I saw, I'm like, oh, boy. <laughs> and Retreat! You, and you Retreat! see a guy who used to work for you and then worked for the U. He was the video guy, Skip Whitman, at the time. And he was right there. And you hear him put, get out of here. <laughs> and he's a U of U employee. Yeah. And he knows this is this is completely and totally inappropriate. Go celebrate with your. You want to celebrate with your classmates right. or whoever they are, uh, fine. But don't get in this man's face. And Bronco, he takes a couple. He stops, looks, and takes a couple of steps. And that guy knew. Uh oh, I am in trouble. <laughs> that was classic. Jonathan says he thinks I've earned, not given. That was a Bronco expression. But I think Kyle wins. Kyle sent us no words. He sent us just a photo. Bronco, headset on, stoic expression, great t-shirt, Y logo, the letter Y in white, the great the blue oval, football, the Nike swoosh, and the graphic. Roscoe Mendenhall, seventh oh, season as BYU the, head coach. The Texas game. That was a huge scrub. Yes. Roscoe Mendenhall. Uh, what are you doing in that truck? I remember <laughs> that because I was in the USC press box, and I had the computer open uh-huh. in front of me, and I see that because I'm covering Utah at uh, SC. I think that might have been their first game. I'd have to double-check that that timing, that's where it worked out. Because they, they played the first Pac-12 game. Yeah. And it was yeah, there. Yeah, they sent Utah down to the Coliseum. Yeah, and I think it was that game. So I had to choose which one to go to, and obviously I'm a little biased towards the Pac-12, so I chose that one. But it was at the same time, and I saw that <laughs> Roscoe. Where did they come up with Roscoe? <laughs> Outside of the tennis player, Roscoe Tanner, who else is named Roscoe? I know of no one. Couldn't give you anybody. And they come up with Roscoe. Um, real or TV characters? Dukes of Hazard. there was a character, Roscoe. <laughs> You're right. It's a short list. Uh, well, I, I tend to live my life in real. In real? Yeah. <laughs> All right, DJ and PK coming up next. Virginia at BYU. Mike Barber, Virginia and ACC writer for the Richmond Times-Dispatch. Virginia's been throwing the ball on everybody. Are they going to be able to throw it on BYU as well? And... Can they stop BYU? Because their defense gives up a few points. So we'll talk that. Uh, talk all about that game with Mike. That's next. Lincoln Kennedy on a Pac-12 and the Raiders at 8.30. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 12.80, the zone. Time to welcome in Mike Barber, Virginia and ACC writer for the Richmond Times-Dispatch. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows the 2022 budget planning for most businesses is coming soon. Take advantage of the Save Now, Pay Later promotion and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out the Best State Award winner, Smart Rain, at smartrain.net. Mike, good morning. Good morning, DJ. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. So, PK and I have both been here and doing this long enough that we were here before Bronco was the defensive coordinator and before Bronco was the head coach. And now we're here for his return. And everything we know about Bronco says that he really doesn't like this week. Has he made it clear he doesn't like this week, or is he playing along with all the BYU questions? Oh, yeah. I mean, 
you guys remember, he made it clear when he took the UVA job yeah. that he didn't want to play this game. They got it pushed back. Um, he was not kidding. Like I think people took it as hyperbole when he said at the time, I hope they push this game back until I'm done coaching. He wasn't kidding. Uh, he, he knew there was a contract, and he was hoping that when he retired or left or whatever, that they could play the game then. Um, he, he's very uncomfortable with it. Um, he has a, a, a very genuine affinity for BYU that I think it goes beyond what most coaches have for their former programs, right? Because it's not just about, yeah, he knows some guys on the staff, and yeah, there's a couple players that, that he was still involved in recruiting. Um, it's not that. It's it's the school. It's the place. Um, it's what it meant to him. It's how it, it kind of fit with who he wants to be as a coach. Um, this is a very emotional week for him. His assistants, we were told flat out when we went out to practice Tuesday, hey, they're not going to take questions about this. They're not going down that road. They, they don't want to get caught up in memory lane. They're trying to focus on their job. This is a very emotionally charged week, I think, for the staff. Yeah, I might give you an idea how long we've been around. I used to, I spent 14 years at the Salt Lake Tribune, and I covered Kelly Papinga as a player. So we, we, we go we go back with these guys, and you know I've I've known an eye for many many years, and all that stuff. So from a distance, we watch. At least I do. I think we all do here. We watch Virginia. You know, we're not watching them every day like you are, but you know we keep track of them. And so far, the the thing that sticks out to my mind, obviously, is the incredible passing numbers, and then somehow Bronco has managed to have two opposing kickers miss field goals at the end. And I don't know. I don't know how he's done it, but uh, you know they've they've got this winning streak. They're six and two, but it seems like it's a little bit of a razor thin margin there between being six and two and being something else. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. And, and you know they uh, those two games that they won with their amazing field goal defense. And I'm <laughs> kidding; it was just <laughs> shanked by the opponent. But you know, two different styles of game. Miami they came out and played really, really well. And then it felt like they kind of ran out of gas, and, and here was Miami coming back, and they held on for that one. Louisville, I mean, they got pretty well smoked in, in the third quarter there, and, and um, it looked like they were going to get blown out. And then they manufactured a, a fantastic comeback um, that would have been for naught if the field goal goes through for the opponent. So, um, yeah, you've had some, some wild ones. You've had some things about this team that are still questionable. Uh, they give up a ton of big plays defensively. Very un-Bronco, but that's a, that's a thing the last two years, really, that they've given up these 35-yard and longer uh, scoring plays, passing plays, running plays. It's coming all over. Um, it, it's a very interesting team. I believe they're very good, but they're not perfect. <laughs> and, and there are many areas they present as being beatable. So is there a common link with these big plays? They, they miss tackles, they're not athletic enough, and guys are running past him. Uh, can you draw a line and connect all these? They, they insist that it's missed assignments, and, and they keep saying, and, and I mean, maybe that's right, but it's not worth anything. They keep saying, like, hey, on the long touchdowns, 10 guys are in the right spot and one's in the wrong spot. And, you know, they keep repeating that the ball always finds you if you make a mistake. Um, and that's all well and good. I guess that means it's, it's easier to fix if it's so few, but they're still happening, right? They were happening just in droves going into the Duke game. Then they shut out Duke, and I think 
people were maybe a little quick to be like, okay, they fixed all their problems. Well, they were playing Duke. Duke's terrible. I mean, Duke's a rolling train wreck right now. So I think that was a little bit of fool's gold. And, and then we saw in this past game, Georgia Tech, even though they played better than the final score indicated, um, they won that game more decisively than, than 48-40 might tell you. But they gave up three long touchdowns in that game. So, um, yeah, you can say it's just a misassignment here or a misassignment there. Well, you better stop missing assignments or you're going to start losing football games. I read a piece that you had in the paper talking about you know just how good is this team, just how good is Armstrong, the quarterback. He's got the 3,200 passing yards. I think that's best in the country and all that stuff. But I believe you even – I know you did because I read it. You asked you – know, you basically asked in the piece, you know, is it is – it, is he this good, or how much of a, is it a product of the schedule because they've beaten four uh, teams that have losing records and against teams that are 500 or better, they're 2-2. Two and two. And interestingly enough, I mean, they've got a tough stretch coming up with BYU, Notre Dame, and Pittsburgh, right? Notre Dame, or BYU got back in the rankings, so I know they got a buy in there too, but uh, they got three ranked opponents coming up. So basically the question being, all right, how good is this passing game? It's got incredible numbers, but against good competition, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, and I wrote that because I think it's a very fair question. Now, having watched Armstrong very closely, I think he's the real deal. Um, You know, a year ago, he had the big arm. He had good accuracy on his deep ball, um, but he was kind of a, a rookie to the offense. And you could tell he'd go for one or two progressions, and then he'd tuck the ball and run. And it's going to sound funny when you guys hear me say this, but he hurt his knee in the Illinois game. And he's had to kind of take it down a notch in terms of how often he runs the football. And I think it's really helped him because, man, he gets through three, four, five progressions. He can go through his reads so quickly because he doesn't have in the back of his mind, okay, one, two, and go. He knows he doesn't want to take off running, and he has been making his way through those reads. He's just, he's really mastered the offense. So I think this stretch, now I don't know how Virginia is going to do in this three game stretch, but I think that Brennan Armstrong's passing numbers are still going to be remarkable. I think he's going to be able to throw for 300 yards a game against these better teams. Um, I think people are going to really realize that this passing attack is legitimate. Um, the defense we talked about, I think there are going to be some problems in this stretch because of that defense. But I, I think Brendan Armstrong is the real deal. I think it's fair to question it because of who they've played. But I think he's going um, to prove himself here on this bigger stage the next three games. So are there receivers who are big-time problems as far as physical matchups? Are these guys mostly detailed route runners and they get themselves open and it's about the quarterback? What, what is driving this? No, there's a good mix there. It's a good question. And, you know, it's funny. I told somebody the other day, it it feels like Virginia had seven or eight guys that you thought, man, one or two of these guys might be great this year. And so far, every one of them has been. And I don't know if they're overachieving or if they're achieving to their capability. But you look at Keaton Thompson, the the transfer quarterback from Mississippi State. He has become just a, a really unstoppable weapon as a wide receiver running back. Uh, slash-type player. Um, he's great catching the football. He runs great routes. But, guys, the thing with him is he never goes down on first contact. I mean, he catches a pass, and he's dragging defenders, breaking tackles. 
Um, he's just been a phenomenal weapon. Their best receiver right now, Dontavian Wicks, he was a young guy with a lot of speed. He missed last year because of an injury, and their real number one receiver suffered a, a knee injury in the spring. They don't have him, and everyone said, okay, can Wicks fill in for Lavelle Davis Jr.? Well, Wicks has been outstanding as a big play guy, uh, take the top off the defense. Then you have Billy Kemp, um, a tiny little slot receiver who runs great routes and who always seems to be open, uh, especially on third down. Uh, he's got good speed, too. Um, and then Jelani Woods, the, the really massive tight end transfer from Oklahoma State, um, he gives him a big target over the middle. Uh, if you cover him one-on-one, he's going to catch a ball, right? Brennan is accurate enough that he can put – back shoulder or put the ball up high wherever he needs to, and Jelani Woods is going to come down with it. So, And those are four guys right there that could be the focal point of your passing game, uh, each one of them, and they've got all four right now playing at a high level. BYU has this running back, Algier, you know, 32 carries, 190 yards, I think it was last week against Washington State, with Virginia's ability to move up and down the field very quickly through the air. Do you think that uh, BYU would be maybe looking toward 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 having a better ground game so they can eat up some clock and keep that offense off the field? And if so, how is the defense against the run for Virginia? Yeah, it's a good question, a good point. If it were me, that's what I would do. I would try to hold on to the football. Now, the problem is twofold. Virginia's run defense, when it's not making a mistake, has been very stout. Now, so... They're hard to run on until they make a mistake. And I I think what we've seen is some teams, I'm thinking about Wake Forest, that really were like, okay, we're going to hold the football and we're going to work our way up and down the field. And a few times, plays just popped and and they scored maybe quicker than they wanted to. Um, Obviously, you're not going to give back the seven points. Um, It it is going to be the interesting matchup in this game. I think if you're BYU, you want to try to do the Wake Forest game plan. Uh, You want to throw some underneath passes. You want to run the football effectively. Um, you want to keep your offense on the field, keep your defense fresh. And then I think when Armstrong's out there in that offense, you know, what teams have been doing, guys, is they've been mixing up their defenses a lot more than their identity. Uh, Robert and I said this to me the other day um, about Georgia Tech. Because Virginia's been so prolific throwing the football, teams are abandoning their tendencies and what they want to do, and they're just trying to mix things up to confuse Brennan Armstrong, uh, to confuse Robert and I, to, to make it a different look than what they've prepared for. And uh, that's a double-edged sword because, on the one hand, if it works, great, you confuse the other team. On the other hand, it means you're getting away from your bread and butter and what you're comfortable doing. Um, it hasn't worked out great for teams, but that is what we've seen. We've seen teams kind of abandon their identity to try to throw a curveball to this Virginia offense. So there's a, a weird thing here that over the last couple of years, uh, BYU has played a lot of, well, maybe even more than that, but they've played a lot of drop eight, rush three. And for whatever reason, it gets under the fan base's skin. I don't completely understand it. It's worked. They've won a lot of games. They've beaten USC and Tennessee and gone 11-1 and one and blown out Boise State and all kinds of stuff. But nonetheless, people complain about it a lot. But I'm curious if there's any point in going after Armstrong because if you're throwing for 400 yards, I'm thinking people haven't been able to pressure him between protection and quick throws. Going after him probably isn't the percentage play, is it? I agree. And and, and the thing that fans are looking at is it's a lot sexier on third and seven if you sack the opposing quarterback than you just force an incompletion or a throwaway. 
But if you're a football coach, you don't care, right? You want you want the stop. You want that third down conversion stopped. Um, so I get it. You know, fans love the blitz. It's exotic. Get after guy. Get him on the ground. And certainly, disrupting Brandon Armstrong is the way to go. But I think you're right that you know the thing with the, the blitz is it's a little feast or famine. And Armstrong has been so good, and he's got so many good receivers that if you come after him and you don't get him, that's going to be a big play. So to me, the smart play is. Yeah, you might rush four or five occasionally, but for the most part, you want to drop guys in coverage. You want to change up uh, what you're doing, where the help is, um, and you just want to make it hard for him to throw the ball downfield. You want to keep everything in front of you, right? It sounds like the boring prevent defense you play at the end of a game, but really that's what you want to do. You want to make them earn it up and down the field, and um, I think they're capable, but this hasn't been a great run game. Uh, when they run the ball, they do it with Brandon Armstrong, who's getting healthier. They do it with Keaton Thompson on, on jet sweeps and direct snaps. They haven't been a great traditional running back run game team. Um, that's the way, to me, that I would approach defending them. Last several years, the ACC, we think it's Clemson, right? And they've been the big dog, and deservedly so. Well, they're not this year. But the conference has the one undefeated team at 7-0, and zero, Wake Forest, be it they're only ranked, what, 13th? And you look at their schedule, and I don't think they have a ranked team that they've played, nor, right now anyway, uh, the rest of the way, there's a ranked team because I think Carolina's been a disappointment and Clemson obviously isn't up to snuff the way they usually be. So going big picture as far as a potential playoff and an undefeated Wake Forest team, if that should happen, how do you think they fit in the mix? Yeah, I don't think they do. Um, and I think Wake Forest has done a really great job building up their program. Uh, Dave Clawson kind of got his start. He was a 1AA coach at Richmond, so we all know uh, Dave Clawson real well. He's an excellent coach. They've built up their program. They've beaten the teams on their schedule but, yeah, you look at that schedule, and who do they end with? I think it's Duke, Carolina, NC State, at Clemson, at BC. I think they could very well go undefeated. I don't think they're going to make the college football playoffs, and um, that's rough. I guess the exception being if Pittsburgh really keeps it together and, and, and runs the table from here. So if it's a one-loss Pittsburgh against an undefeated Wake Forest and Wake Forest beats them convincingly in the ACC title game, um, and other things happen in their favor. Uh, but it's a down year in the ACC. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And it isn't just about Clemson slipping. It's about nobody else being ready to pick up that place, right? You know, so Clemson's down this year. Is there another team that's stepping up and, and really wowing you? And uh, you could say Wake Forest, and, and maybe if Wake Forest knew <laughs> what was coming, they would have had a better non-conference schedule. But um, I'm trying to remember, Old Dominion, Norfolk, obviously they just played uh, Army, um, and I'm trying to think of who, oh, that, and their North Carolina game this year is actually a non-conference Oh, that's game, right, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Because they couldn't, yeah, they couldn't fill out their schedule. So maybe if they knew, hey, they were going to be 7-0, and that they would try to drop in a, a better Power 5 opponent somewhere in there, but um, it's going to be hard for the ACC. They're going to need a lot of help from the, the Big Ten and the SEC kind of eating their own here down the stretch. So, Virginia does come west more than I thought, but they don't usually win. Uh, they might have a win at Boise State, maybe. They've got the one at BYU 20-plus years ago. But, man, they've gone to Wyoming and lost to TCU and, and 
Oregon and SC. Are they doing anything special or unusual for this or addressing this? Or it's a football game and it's 8-15 and we're going to show up and be there and put hat on hat? <laughs> well, certainly that's the answers we get. The reality, though, guys, is a lot of those losses out west, Virginia stunk. They were a bad football team. <laughs> I think it, I know that's sort of simplifying it. Yeah. Um, but those were some bad Virginia teams that went out and lost to Oregon and UCLA and all those games. This is a, a pretty good Virginia team. So I think if you're this Virginia team and Bronco, because he hasn't been uh, out west or certainly back to BYU, um, I, I think you just look at it and say, hey, we're a good football team. We can win anywhere. Now there's questions, and the guys have been asked this week about the altitude. Is the altitude going to be an issue? The late kickoff, because it's 10-15 here, is that going to be an issue? And, and they say the right things, but the reality is we don't know. Um, they may get out there and find the first quarter they have trouble with the altitude. They may find in the fourth quarter that it catches up with them. Uh, they may find that with a late start, they get off to a sloppy beginning. I think we're going to know a lot in the first few drives. Is Ken Virginia, they don't have to play great in the first few drives, but they have to make sure they're not down 14 nothing. right? Get your legs under you, get used to where you are, understand, hey, you're in a real game because it's a step up in, I think, the competition level. Uh, I think the end of the first quarter, we're going to know a lot of the answers to these questions we've been talking about. Um, and at that point, though, you're in the fire. Before we let you go, Mike, I have just been told that you're a brother. you got some Jersey blood in you. I'm a Jersey native, my friend. It is so good to talk to you. Where, where are you from? Morris County, brother. Yeah, so I, I'm from up north in Bergen County, and I went to Rutgers. I started my career at Star Ledger in Newark. Uh, so yeah, Jersey boy through and through. And, yeah, uh, I moved down to Virginia, and down to Virginia in 2002, and um, still miss it, and still try to keep up with Rutgers, but they don't really give me a whole lot to cheer for. There's nothing like tailored ham in the morning. Is that true? There you go, Taylor ham, egg and cheese with salt, pepper, and ketchup. <laughs> I'm from San Diego, and I don't know what you people are talking about, but I don't think I want to eat that. <laughs> well, you guys are going to have to take a road trip there. Maybe BYU Rutgers at some point. Oh, that'd be awesome. Some, uh, oh, sure. Yeah. Born yeah. and raised in Jersey myself. Born in uh, Orange and then moved up to Persephone. Uh, yeah, man. I, I, I just, I knew, I knew I could tell the, the way you were talking. You had to have some East Coast blood. And then I find out, not, not just East Coast, but it's actually the hub of the East Coast, Jersey. Man, right there. It is so like good. We, to, like we like to claim. Yeah. Like we like to claim the, the center of the East Coast. People think it's New York. It's really Jersey. Of course it's Jersey, man. man. It's Frank Sinatra. It's John Bon Jovi. It's Bruce Springsteen. Queen Latifah. Dana Owens. You name it, brother. Hey, all, all you need to know is that New York City has two pro football teams, yeah. and they both play in New Jersey. Of course. Of course they do. And Zach Wilson's going to go on to stardom, a Draper Utah kid in Jersey. Well, Mike, you were a really good guest until right at the end. But yeah, yeah, I think it slipped. I think your game slipped there at the end, Mike. You had some, you had some good info, but then you got. Yeah, you were, you were, you had some good info, and then you got lost in a Jersey no, swamp no, there at the end. No, man, he he was born again in the Jersey swamps and the Jersey Shore. You name it, man, Jersey boys. We're Jersey boys. Shut up.
I love it. Next time I come on, you'll have to play some spring stream as my intro. There you uh, go, man. <laughs> down to the river. Tramps like us. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Mike Barber, Virginia awesome. and ACC writer for the Richmond Times-Dispatch, and apparently... He's from Bergen County. Still a Jersey kid. (laughs) (laughs) He was like, he was so Jersey that he didn't even want to give you credit for. Listen, you're in Utah. I don't know if you're Jersey. Let's find out where you're from. (laughs) Well, everybody. As soon as he said that, okay. And you, you always say you'll say first. You'll say the county. And then if they're from the same county, then you'll then get a little, you, then you a little go, more specific. Then you drill a little deeper to find out yeah. the town or right. the school. Now, and there's a difference between north and south. Bergen is north. New it, York, there's New York, Jersey, and there's Philly, Jersey. And that's a big difference, even though it shouldn't seem it. But it's like but, you're not even from the same state, even though you are. All right, DJ and PK coming up. Lincoln Kennedy, his weekly visit, Raider radio analyst, 5-2 and two tied, not just, not just battling for a division lead now, now they're tied for the best record in the AFC. We'll talk with Lincoln about the Raiders and get his picks on the Pac-12 games this weekend, see where he thinks these games are headed. Utah and UCLA among the big games, although ASU's got a big game too. We'll talk with Lincoln Kennedy next. Stay with us. The new zone lineup is here with the best coverage of the sports you love and the teams you can't live without. Catch DJ and PK mornings from 6 to 10, followed by Jake Scott and Ben Anderson from 10 to noon. Get your daily fix of Hanson Scotty from noon to 3. And then the zone welcomes unrivaled with Alex Curie and former NFL quarterback Scott Mitchell to the team. Weekdays from 3 to 6, live and local. All day, every day. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. DJ PK, time to welcome back Lincoln Kennedy, Raider radio analyst, Pac-12 network analyst. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows the 2022 budget planning for most businesses is underway. Take advantage of the Save Now, Pay Later promotion. Do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at smartrain.net. Lincoln, good morning. Well, it's LK all day. Go big or go home, PKG. <laughs> well, you certainly are big. Yes, man, how you guys doing? Good. I saw a photo of you a couple years back at the uh, Pac-12 title game up in Santa Clara, uh-huh. and you were with all the crew who was there covering it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you look so huge compared to guys like Yogi Roth and Mike Yam. I get that. You know, I, 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 people say that all the time. It's, it's uh, you know, when I do the, with the games with with Roxy Bernstein, um, he has to stand on the box, so we look, you know, similar in, in the camera shot. But yeah, I, I get that quite a bit. <laughs> it's good to be with you guys. How you guys doing? You're an old lineman. Why are people amazed by this? Old linemen are not tiny people. I've interviewed no, enough of them. I, they I think all that tower. When you over see me. on camera the, the the camera difference, yeah, uh, or or and, and just I guess what people consider normal, whatever that yeah. circumstances, you know, it's different. All right, well, we want to talk to you about the Raiders because they're not just the Raiders now. Now they're the 5-2 and two Raiders tied for the best record in the AFC after the yeah. Bengals crushed the Ravens. When you look at the Raiders, do you see a team that's got some things going well and got some things that need fixing, or do you see one of the, if not the elite team in the AFC? I would say yes to the first two questions. And the, the third question, I wouldn't necessarily deem them elite. Um, they still have some things they have to fix. But, you know, here's the thing. Um, it, it was proven last week when, when they, the Raiders played the Eagles that Derek Carr's accuracy 
puts them over the top. And what I mean by that is there were several throws throughout that game where Derek Carr made him by just being an accurate quarterback. There's not a lot of quarterbacks in the league that can say the sit there and say accuracy. You, you talk about strong arm, you talk about discipline, you talk about great decision making, but accuracy is one of those intangibles that a lot of people tend to overlook because they just assume that it's there. Derek Carr's accuracy put this team over the top. Um, and so when you, when you team that with the fact that he's got a number of weapons, we, we were, all of us were concerned that Darren Waller wasn't playing and wanted to see how the Raiders were going to react without one of their star players. But they may do by utilizing a lot of the other players uh, on that offense. And then the fact that they've got a defense that can create a rush, that can get to the quarterback, that can slow some teams down and make it hard for them to score, this is a good football team. I'm not ready to say they're an elite football team. I don't think they're up there with like teams like the Buffalo Bills uh, and stuff like that. But I think this is a good football team. I think this is a football team that's capable of making the playoffs, maybe winning a game or so in the playoffs. Um, but they still have a lot of work to do. Um, they still have a lot of things to overcome. Most notably, the, the Los Angeles Chargers who are in their division who share the tiebreaker right now. Yeah, they closed the season with them, so we still yeah. have about three months to go before we get to that point or just under three months. Uh, you look at their schedule, and I got it in front of me, KC twice, and Cleveland yep. and Cincinnati should be tough. Yeah. But they got the Giants this week. Now, it's back there, so you're asking a team in the Pacific time zone to go back. Giants aren't good. They're, I think they're coming off a win. But yeah. what do you think about this game as far as, I don't know, is it a trap game or what? Because they all count. The true test for this Raiders team is to see that they can consistently beat the teams they should beat. Now, I say that tongue-in-cheek because a couple weeks ago when they lost to Chicago, um, you know, that was a team they should have beaten. Um, they came out and they took care of business against the Eagles. Now they have a bye. They're riding high off of a two-game win streak, and they should take care of business against the Giants. But we already know no game is, you know, a, a given. Um, last year at this time when they went back east to face the Jets, they almost lost to a truly inferior team. So I think that's going to be the true gross measurement, if you will, of this Raiders team. If they can beat the teams they're supposed to beat, they'll put themselves in a position to have some success towards the end of the year because there are games that are going to get you know systematically harder. But as you mentioned, the, the Chiefs, with their offense, even though the Chiefs are down defensively, with their offense, they're capable of scoring. Um, if, if they have a the game that goes right, and the Raiders have always had trouble with the Chiefs, only they split the, the season last year. And then you talk about you know teams like Dallas, you still got to take on the Chargers again. Look, Indianapolis and Cleveland, for what they want, they're both inconsistent, but these are teams that still have the potential to make things harder for the Raiders. So the t- Raiders have got a long way to go and, and at this little halfway point of the season where they got their bye. So I'm curious because it's just a two-game sample, but they got a new play caller, and that can change everything. Did it change everything, or is that just uh, a few details because it changes some things, but it doesn't change everything? It did, it did open up some things. It did change some things. There's a philosophy that's been generated by a collaborative effort from Derek Carr and Greg Olson um, that wasn't there before. Everyone knew that when Gruden was in, in the position of the head coach and offensive coordinator that he was the alpha male and they were going to go their place. And there were times where even Derek tried to change him at the line or on the field, and he, got, he came under question by John Gruden. But now, for what it's worth, from what we've seen of the two-game two game sample size, 
um, is Derek's had complete autonomy when he's been out there. He's he's been in, in control, and Greg Olson has allowed him because he's trusted his his you know thought process. It's worked out to the Raiders for the Raiders. Um, you still see a large sample size of a check with me system, and what I mean by that is when they go into the huddle these days, guys, quarterbacks are calling two plays. And it's a, it's a true check with me system. You're calling two plays, anticipating what the defense is going to do. And what Greg Olson has been able to create with Derek Carr over the last couple of games is a rhythm to the offense, a, a consistent rhythm that really has been present at times but has been inconsistent. That we'll see how the second half of the season goes for him because in the past, the past couple of years especially, Teams have gotten a drop on what the Raiders chose to do and how they chose to do it, and that's why they've been inconsistent, especially the second half of the season. But it's going, to be a, it's going to be a real true test for this offense to see how they go moving forward because now teams have enough games under their belt to see what the Raiders like to do and what the Raiders do well, and we'll see how they try to take that away or negate that. The Gruden thing was a big story at the time. Now it seems yeah. like it was three months ago rather than just a couple of weeks ago. And the teams come out, obviously, it's one of these two games. And, and, and now they got their bye uh, this week, obviously, and, and then New York KC and all that stuff uh, for the second set, second part of the schedule. I'm wondering, do you think because of all this stuff, did they needed the bye to catch their breath? Or is like this? these are professionals and they got a job to do and it really doesn't matter all this other stuff because they're paid to win football games. So keep going. Where do you stand on that? I thought the best thing for the Raiders collectively as a team was to win the Denver game, um, especially after the Gruden stuff happened. Because, you know, the, the timing of all of it when it came out was the Friday before the Chicago game. They played incredibly flat. They got beat down by an inferior team. And then they had to answer the questions, especially when Gruden resigned on Monday or Tuesday, whatever it is, following the game. Um, so the best thing for them to do was to come out and win. They They kind of suppressed a lot of questions surrounding the Gruden situation. And then they followed that up with another win against the Eagles, really suppressed a lot of it, uh, the conversation. That's why it makes it seem like it's so far away or so long ago when it really isn't. Um, and Coach Passaccia rewarded the team by giving them the entire week off. He said, you know, after the Sunday's game in the Eagles, they had the entire this week off, this bye week off, saying they're going to report back on Monday, which is unheard of in my understanding because um, I think things are a lot different now, but when I play, they would never give us that much time off. <laughs> Anyways, um, it is what it is, but I, I think they needed that, and I think the reflection shows on the captains, the true leaders in that locker room, how maturely, how maturely they handled this stuff, and more importantly, how they passed it down to the team, and it transcended with a couple of wins. So you rewarded them, and now you come back after the bye, prepare for the Giants in the remainder of the season, and you've got a big task in front of you, but I think they'll be much more prepared uh, you know, to handle whether there's any lasting conversations or questions about Gruden, or, or they're just moving on. Lincoln Kennedy joining us, Raider, radio analyst. Uh, I think everyone's curious, you know, when you talk about elite teams, you mentioned the Raiders are not Buffalo. Is Cincinnati in that group after what they did to Baltimore? Is Baltimore still in that group after getting blown out by Cincinnati? Or are these just one game and... The AFC, what is it, North? I think it is. Yeah. Um, was, was going to be competitive. We we knew it. We actually expected that. 
Cleveland was going to be in the position that Cincinnati is now in. But Cincinnati has found their way, they found their rhythm, and they are a dangerous team. I still think Baltimore is one of those uh, teams, potentially, because they have both sides of the ball. We have a, a playmaker like Lamar Jackson. Even though the Raiders got him in game one, they were down, especially with running backs and stuff like that. They were inconsistent. They found their way as well. So I think both of them are going to be a true test. The, the, the favorable for the Raiders part is that since they've already beaten Baltimore, if it comes down to a tie-breaking situation, then most likely you know, Baltimore, if, they, if the Raiders are able to win the division, Baltimore would end up having to come back out to Legion rather than the Raiders going there. But Cincinnati, I, I do believe, is for real. I think they, they found a rhythm uh, in both their run and pass game as well as their defense. Joe Burrow is playing very well, and they're going to be a dangerous team. So the weekly question, Lincoln, that probably won't be answered until December, who's the best team in the Pac-12? It won't be answered to December. <laughs> I, I, I tried to prepare you guys the last time we talked that I thought that Oregon State was for real. And I still think that. I still think Oregon State's for real. Um, but, you know, what? The, the, the fact is is that with the Pac-12, there's such a competitive level that, that, that you, 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 you know, raises one eyebrow that it, it depends on the, the timing. It depends on the week. Who's going to take it? I still think Utah's up there. Um, you know, I'm not a big believer in Oregon as a whole, but they find a way to win. Um, so, you know, it's anyone's guess where we're going to go from here, but the competitive level of the Pac-12 is something that's fun to watch. It's something that's fun to analyze and try to predict is even harder than anything else because it's like, you, you, you like you said a moment ago, you just have to wait to December. I really don't know who's going to be playing in Allegiant Stadium on December 3rd. <laughs> so, we ex- I expect, and I think PK does too, that most of these Pac-12 games are going to have close point spreads. And you look yeah. this week, you know, two and a half, six and a half, one and a half, that all makes sense. If there's a big point spread, I expect Arizona and Colorado to be involved because they're not as good as the other 10. Right. Colorado can't score points, so Oregon's right. a 24-point favorite. Fine. USC 21 over Arizona, fine. They, but ASU is a 16-point favor of Washington State. Obviously, Ute fans want Washington State to win no, that game. I don't think it's the game. It's a, it's the line on how many penalties they expect. Nope, that's not what it is. It's <laughs> not what it is. Could be, I get your point, but it's not what it is. Is ASU going to roll Wazoo? Ute fans want to know if you think they're in, and you live in that state. So, Do you think Washington State can go in and win that game? Because that's what Ute fans want. No, I think Washington State's going to put up a challenge. I think ASU's going to win, but it's not going to be by that wide of a margin. So I think Washington State's going to put up a challenge. Yeah, my thought is if the Devils commit as an alum, if they commit 10 penalties, I'm going to withdraw my $25 a year (laughs) donation to the alumni club. That's it. I've had it. I've had it, Lincoln. I'm done with it. If they get 10 penalties, forget it. It's funny because you don't (laughs) typically see a Herm Edwards coach team that lack that much discipline and it's been something that's perplexed a lot of people including me throughout this season it's like what how do you what what is this it's not something that's indicative of what we've seen in the past so yeah i, I think it's going to be the uh, ultimately the sun devils achilles heels because they're going to get themselves in a big game like they've already had and commit so many penalties they're not going to be able to win see i think it's some type of mask and if we pulled back the mask it would actually be dennis erickson coaching the team <laughs> Wow, okay. <laughs> Never thought about that one, but yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> and Vontez Burfick committing personal oh fouls. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, there it is. <laughs> wow. 
wow. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's going to be beautiful. All right. Uh, you got the Utes or UCLA. I'll let yeah. you go on this one. Utes, Utah or UCLA? I like you. I, I think Utah is going to find a way to pull it out. I think they're going to control the game, keep it away from UCLA's offense, and then find a way to win the game. I like Utes. All right. We appreciate it. LK, thanks for joining DJ and PK. Oh, I love you guys, man. appreciate it. Right. Lincoln Kennedy, Raider right. radio analyst, Pac-12 network analyst. It's a whole Halloween thing going on there, but it's year-round. The ghost of Dennis. Well, well, yeah, they were very undisciplined. Though. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been shockingly undisciplined. It is. Maybe now that they're not playing in the state of Utah or a Utah team. Because they've had double-digit penalties. penalties in all three of the games <laughs> against Utah teams. Thank goodness the Aggies aren't on the schedule this year. <laughs> <laughs> all right, DJ and PK. Coming up, 9 o'clock hour, Brian Geltzeiler, founder of HoopsCritic.com, is going to join us in about 15 minutes. Stay with us. It's game week for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. The Utes return home to the friendly confines of Rice-Eccles Stadium for a key Pac-12 South Division battle against Chip Kelly and UCLA. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch the Ute pregame show Saturday with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Ute football. You ready? Yeah! Than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. (laughs) Join Jake and Ben Friday at the warehouse from 10 to noon. They'll be there tomorrow. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. I don't know why that struck me as funny, but that was ridiculous. <laughs> Catchy too. <laughs> okay, Grandpa. <laughs> I am not a grandpa. <laughs> All right, so we just heard Kyle talk about uh, your favorite Utah quarterback, the guy you saw as a starter before anybody else, and Cam Rising's numbers are great. Does it make you nervous when you see him run the ball, though? No. That he's going to take the hit? No. Because he takes the hit. But that's no different than anybody else. So yes, but no. It's part of the game. Well, there are quarterbacks who don't take the hit the same way. I would Did agree you with you that more quarterbacks... last week in the I pocket? Know. I would agree that more quarterbacks take the hit than <laughs> don't. I was really impressed with that South Florida. The team was terrible, but the quarterback was really good, and he did not... He made big plays and did not let BYU hit him. And then uh, Illinois... At, uh, I think it was one of the overtimes. <laughs> all list the quarterbacks who got blasted. But, but, but you saw his arm uh-huh. just go. And you, you look, my, I was watching it with my wife, and she turned away. Ah! Yeah, that type right, of thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it bend, and then, then we find out he's got a broken arm. No kidding. Yeah. yeah. I ain't no doctor. I did pre-med <laughs> for a Fr- while. Friday nights. Mm-hmm. And until State. I established myself. <laughs> so to speak. And, and you could see that, that that sucks big time. So, no. And it's all riding on Cam. And don't say that I said that Cam Rising is the starter. You're using way too many letters. You only need the first four letters of starter, what I said he would be. <laughs> That's star if you're doing that uh, word puzzle in your head. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Thomas Rhett, who I plan to see in February, has a song out, star of the show. This guy is the star of the show. No, it's amazing to me. He's the best scrambler that I've ever seen to get a first down without being a big-time runner. 
Like Lamar Jackson's a big time runner. You see him run for um, um, big deal. I've seen that a million times. Yeah. Taysom Hill, seen that a million times, right? But Cam, well, the whole Cam pocket big... is collapsing on him, but and somehow he escapes and gets a first down. Okay. Fran Tarkington told me he was impressed. Fran Tarkington. I am tempted now to break down Fran Tarkington versus Cam <laughs> Rising because I think that's a terrible comparison by you. I don't even know what Fran Tarkington was about. It, it just was, came into my mind. He was elusive. I remember him for with uh, Cam is, one gal doing the TV Oh, they did shows. a show. Yeah. I saw that's it. incredible. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Thanks. I saw no that's cool incredible. And by the way, that's incredible was just TikTok and YouTube before TikTok and YouTube. Good point. But they were on to something. <laughs> no, but he, I saw a video of him actually the other day. He actually scored a touchdown. A guy pushed him out of bounds. He turns around and just chucks the ball at the guy's helmet. Fran Tarkenton? It was a different yeah, era. Yeah, he's a feisty dude, man. It was a different era. Yeah. Cam he was small. Cam's may- not that small. No, but nobody is Cam's, anymore. Cam's strong and fast. But it looks like he's got nothing going on. And he's not a take-off guy. Like, I expected Hill and Jackson to take off. I don't expect that. Somehow, Rising makes something out of nothing there. More and of a true gets, pocket It's passing. like third and 12, and he's weaving his way, and the next thing you know, he's got a first down. It's incredible. DJ and PK coming up next. NBA, Brian Geltziler. What does he think of the Jazz chances this year? Who are the big dogs in the West? Five teams perceived as big dogs, were all beaten last night. The Lakers, the Clippers, the Suns, the Nets, the world champion Bucks, all beaten. Brian Geltziler, next, stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time to welcome in Mike Barber, Virginia and ACC writer for the Richmond Times-Dispatch. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows the 2022 budget planning for most businesses is coming soon. Take advantage of the Save Now, Pay Later promotion and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out the Best State Award winner, Smart Rain, at smartrain.net. Mike, good morning. Good morning, DJ. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. So, PK and I have both been here and doing this long enough that we were here before Bronco was the defensive coordinator and before Bronco was the head coach. And now we're here for his return. And everything we know about Bronco says that he really doesn't like this week. Has he made it clear he doesn't like this week, or is he playing along with all the BYU questions? Oh, yeah. I mean, you guys remember, he made it clear when he took the UVA job that he didn't want to play this game. They got it pushed back. Um, he was not kidding. Like I think people took it as hyperbole when he said at the time, I hope they push this game back until I'm done coaching. He wasn't kidding. Uh, he, he knew there was a contract, and he was hoping that when he retired or left or whatever, that they could play the game then. Um, he, he's very uncomfortable with it. Um, he has a, a, a very genuine affinity for BYU that I think he goes beyond what most coaches have for their former programs. Right, because it's not just about yeah he knows some guys on the staff and yeah there's a couple players that that he was still involved in recruiting. Um, it's not that. It's it's the school, it's the place, um, it's what it meant to him. It's how it it kind of fit with who he wants to be as a coach. Um, it, this is a very emotional week for him. His assistants, we were told flat out when we went out to practice Tuesday, hey they're not going to take questions about this. They're not going down that road. They they don't want to get caught up in memory lane. They're trying to focus on their job. This is a very emotionally charged week, I think, for the staff. 
Yeah, Mike, give you an idea how long we've been around. I used to, I spent 14 years at the Salt Lake Tribune, and I covered Kelly Papinga as a player. So <laughs> we, we, we go we go back with these guys, and you know I've I've known an eye for many many years, and all that stuff. So from a distance. We watch, at least I do, I think we all do here, we watch Virginia. You know, we're not watching them every day like you are, but, you know, we keep track of them. And so far, the the thing that sticks out to my mind, obviously, is the incredible passing numbers. And then somehow Bronco has managed to have two opposing kickers miss field goals at the end. And I don't know, I don't know how he's done it, but, uh, you know, they've, they've got this winning streak. They're 6-2. and two. But it seems like it's a little bit of a razor thin margin there between being six and two and being something else. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. And, and you know, they uh, those two games that they won with their amazing field goal defense. And I'm <laughs> kidding; it was just <laughs> shanked by the opponent. But you know, two different styles of game. Miami, they came out and played really, really well. And then it felt like they kind of ran out of gas. And, and here was Miami coming back, and they held on for that one. Louisville, I mean, they got pretty well smoked in, in the third quarter there, and, and um, it looked like they were going to get blown out, and then they manufactured a, a fantastic comeback um, that would have been for naught if the field goal goes through for the opponent. So, um, yeah, you've had some, some wild ones. You've had some things about this team that are still questionable. Uh, they give up a ton of big plays defensively. Very un-Bronco, but that's a it's a thing the last two years, really, that they've given up these 35-yard and longer uh, scoring plays, passing plays, running plays. It's coming all over. Um, it's a very interesting team. I believe they're very good, but they're not perfect. <laughs> and, and there are many areas they present as being beatable. So is there a common link with these big plays? They, they miss tackles. They're not athletic enough. And guys are running past him. Uh, can you draw a line and connect all these? They, they insist that it's missed assignments, and, and they keep saying, and, and I mean, maybe that's right, but it's not worth anything. They keep saying, like, hey, on the long touchdowns, 10 guys are in the right spot and one's in the wrong spot. And, you know, they keep repeating that the ball always finds you if you make a mistake. Um, and that's all well and good. I guess that means it's, it's easier to fix if it's so few, but they're still happening. Right, They were happening just in droves going into the Duke game. Then they shut out Duke, and I think people were maybe a little quick to be like, okay, they fixed all their problems. Well, they were playing Duke. Duke's terrible. I mean, Duke's a rolling train wreck right now. So I think that was a little bit of fool's gold. And, and then we saw in this past game, Georgia Tech, even though they played better than the final score indicated, um, they won that game more decisively than, than 48-40 might tell you. But they gave up three long touchdowns in that game. So um, yeah, you can say it's just a misassignment here or a misassignment there. Well, you better stop missing assignments or you're going to start losing football games. I read a piece that you had in the paper talking about you know just how good is this team, just how good is Armstrong, the quarterback. He's got the 3,200 passing yards. I think that's best in the country and all that stuff. But I believe you even, I know you did because I read it, you asked, you, know, you basically asked in the piece, you know, is it, is it, is he this good, or how much of a, is it a product of the schedule because they've beaten four uh, teams that have losing records and against teams that are 500 or better, they're 2-2, two and two, 
And interestingly enough, I mean, they've got a tough stretch coming up with BYU, Notre Dame, and Pittsburgh, right? Notre Dame, or BYU got back in the rankings, so I know they got a buy in there too, but uh, they got three ranked opponents coming up. So basically the question being, all right, how good is this passing game? It's got incredible numbers, but against good competition, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, and I wrote that because I think it's a very fair question. Now, having watched Armstrong very closely, I think he's the real deal. Um, You know, a year ago, he had the big arm. He had good accuracy on his deep ball. um, But he was kind of a a rookie to the offense. And you could tell he'd go for one or two progressions, and then he'd tuck the ball and run. And it's going to sound funny when you guys hear me say this, but he hurt his knee in the Illinois game. And he's had to kind of – take it down a notch in terms of how often he runs the football. And I think it's really helped him because, man, he gets through three, four, five progressions. He can go through his reads so quickly because he doesn't have in the back of his mind, okay, one, two, and go. He knows he doesn't want to take off running, and he has been making his way through those reads. He's just he's really mastered the offense. So I think this stretch, and I don't know how Virginia is going to do in this three-game stretch, but I think that Brennan Armstrong's passing numbers are still going to be remarkable. I think he's going to be able to throw for 300 yards a game against these better teams. Um, I think people are going to really realize that this passing attack is legitimate. Um, the defense we talked about, I think there are going to be some problems in this stretch because of that defense. But I think Brennan Armstrong is the real deal. I think it's fair to question it because of who they've played. But I think he's going to... Um, I think he's going to prove himself here on this bigger stage the next three games. So are there receivers who are big-time problems as far as physical matchups? Are these guys mostly detailed route runners and they get themselves open and it's about the quarterback? What, what is driving this? No, there's a good mix there. It's a good question. And, you know, it's funny. I told somebody the other day, it, it feels like Virginia had seven or eight guys that you thought, man, one or two of these guys might be great this year. And so far, every one of them has been. And I don't know if they're overachieving or if they're achieving to their capability, but you look at Keaton Thompson, the transfer quarterback from Mississippi State. He has become just a a really unstoppable weapon as a wide receiver, running back, uh, slash-type player. Um, He's great catching the football. He runs great routes. But, guys, the thing with him is he never goes down on first contact. I mean, he catches a pass, and he's dragging defenders, breaking tackles. Um, he's just been a phenomenal weapon. Their best receiver right now, Dontavian Wicks, he was a young guy with a lot of speed. He missed last year because of an injury, and their real number one receiver suffered a knee injury in the spring. They don't have him, and everyone said, okay, can Wicks fill in for Lavelle Davis Jr.? Well, Wicks has been outstanding as a big play guy, uh, take the top off the defense. Then you have Billy Kemp. Um, a tiny little slot receiver who runs great routes and who always seems to be open, uh, especially on third down. Uh, he's got good speed, too. Um, and then Jelani Woods, the, the really massive tight end transfer from Oklahoma State, um, he gives him a big target over the middle. Uh, if you cover him one-on-one, he's going to catch a ball, right? Brennan is accurate enough that he can put back shoulder or put the ball up high wherever he needs to, and Jelani Woods is going to come down with it. So, And those are four guys right there that could be the focal point of your passing game, uh, each one of them, and they've got all four right now playing at a high level. 
BYU has this running back, Algier, you know, 32 carries, 190 yards, I think it was last week against Washington State, with Virginia's ability to move up and down the field very quickly through the air. Do you think that uh, BYU would be maybe looking toward, toward, toward having a better ground game so they can eat up some clock and keep that offense off the field? And if so, how is the defense against the run for Virginia? Yeah, it's a good question, a good point. If it were me, that's what I would do. I would try to hold on to the football. Now, the problem is twofold. Virginia's run defense, when it's not making a mistake, has been very stout. Now, so they're hard to run on until they make a mistake. And I think what we've seen is some teams, I'm thinking about Wake Forest, that really were like, okay, we're going to hold the football and we're going to work our way up and down the field. And a few times, plays just popped, and they scored maybe quicker than they wanted to. Um, obviously, you're not going to give back the seven points. Um, it is going to be the interesting matchup in this game. I think if you're BYU, you want to try to do the Wake Forest game plan. Uh, you want to throw some underneath passes. You want to run the football effectively. Um, you want to keep your offense on the field, keep your defense fresh. And then I think when Armstrong's out there in that offense, you know what teams have been doing, guys, is – They've been mixing up their defenses a lot more than their identity. Uh, Robert and I said this to me the other day um, about Georgia Tech. Because Virginia's been so prolific throwing the football, teams are abandoning their tendencies and what they want to do, and they're just trying to mix things up to confuse Brennan Armstrong, uh, to confuse Robert and I, to to make it a different look than what they've prepared for. And uh, that's a double-edged sword because, on the one hand, if it works, great, you confuse the other team. On the other hand, it means you're getting away from your bread and butter and what you're comfortable doing. Um, it hasn't worked out great for teams, but that is what we've seen. We've seen teams kind of abandon their identity to try to throw a curveball to this Virginia offense. So there's a, a weird thing here that over the last couple of years, uh, BYU has played a lot of, well, maybe even more than that, but they've played a lot of drop eight, rush three. And for whatever reason, it gets under the fan base's skin. I don't completely understand it. It's worked. They've won a lot of games. They've beaten USC and Tennessee and gone 11-1 and and blown out Boise State and all kinds of stuff. But nonetheless, people complain about it a lot. But I'm curious if there's any point in going after Armstrong because if you're throwing for 400 yards, I'm thinking people haven't been able to pressure him between protection and quick throws. Going after him probably isn't the percentage play, is it? I agree, and, and, and the thing that fans are looking at is it's a lot sexier on third and seven if you sack the opposing quarterback than you just force an incompletion or a throwaway. But if you're a football coach, you don't care, right? You want you want the stop. You want that third down conversion stopped. Um, so I get it. You know, fans love the blitz. It's exotic. Get after guy. Get him on the ground. And certainly, disrupting Brendan Armstrong is the way to go. But I think you're right. That, you know, the thing with the, the blitz is it's a little feaster famine. And Armstrong has been so good, and he's got so many good receivers, that if you come after him and you don't get him, that's going to be a big play. So to me, the smart play is, yeah, you might rush four or five occasionally, but for the most part, you want to drop guys in coverage. You want to change up uh, what you're doing, where the help is, um, and, and you just want to make it hard for him to throw the ball downfield. You want to keep everything in front of you, right? It sounds like the boring prevent defense you play at the end of a game. 
But really, that's what you want to do. You want to make them earn it up and down the field. And uh, I think they're capable. But this hasn't been a great run game. Uh, when they run the ball, they do it with Brandon Armstrong, who's getting healthier. They do it with Keaton Thompson on, on jet sweeps and direct snaps. They haven't been a great traditional running back run game team. Um, that's the way, to me, that I would approach defending them. Last several years, the ACC, we think it's Clemson, right? And they've been the big dog, and deservedly so. Well, they're not this year. But the conference has the one undefeated team at 7-0, and zero, Wake Forest. Be it they're only ranked, what, 13th? And you look at their schedule, and I don't think they have a ranked team that they've played, nor, right now anyway, uh, the rest of the way, there's a ranked team because I think Carolina's been a disappointment and Clemson obviously isn't up to snuff the way they usually be. So going big picture as far as a potential playoff and an undefeated Wake Forest team, if that should happen, how do you think they fit in the mix? Yeah, I, I don't think they do. Um, and I think Wake Forest has done a really great job building up their program. Uh, Dave Clawson kind of got his start. He was a 1AA coach at Richmond, so we all know uh, Dave Clawson real well. He's an excellent coach. They, they've built up their program. They've beaten the teams on their schedule. But, yeah, you look at that schedule, and, and who do they end with? I think it's Duke, Carolina, NC State, at Clemson, at BC. I think they could very well go undefeated. I don't think they're going to make the college football playoffs, and um, that's rough. I guess the exception being if Pittsburgh really – keeps it together and, and, and runs the table from here. So if it's a one-loss Pittsburgh against an undefeated Wake Forest and Wake Forest beats them convincingly in the ACC title game um, and other things happen in their favor, uh, but it's a down year in the ACC. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And it isn't just about Clemson slipping. It's about nobody else being ready to pick up that place, right? You know, so Clemson's down this year. Is there another team that's stepping up and, and really wowing you and now you could say Wake Forest, and, and maybe if Wake Forest knew <laughs> what was coming, they would have had a better non-conference schedule. But um, I'm trying to remember, Old Dominion, Norfolk, obviously they just played uh, Army. Um, and I'm trying to think of who, oh, that, and their North Carolina game this year is actually a non-conference Oh, that's game, right, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Because they couldn't, yeah, they couldn't fill out their schedule. So maybe if they knew, hey, they were going to be 7-0, and that they would try to drop in a, a better Power 5 opponent somewhere in there. But um, it's going to be hard for the ACC. They're going to need a lot of help from the, the Big Ten and the SEC kind of eating their own here down the stretch. So Virginia does come west more than I thought, but they don't usually wet, win. Uh, they might have a win at Boise State maybe. They've got the one at BYU 20-plus years ago. But, man, they've gone to Wyoming and lost, to TCU and, and Oregon and SC. Are they doing anything special or unusual for this or addressing this? Or it's a football game and it's 8-15 and we're going to show up and be there and put hat on hat? <laughs> well, certainly that's the answers we get. The reality, though, guys, is a lot of those losses out west, Virginia stunk. They were a bad football team. <laughs> I think it, I know that's sort of simplifying it. Yeah. Um, but those were some bad Virginia teams that went out and lost to Oregon and UCLA and all those games. This is a, a pretty good Virginia team. So I think if you're this Virginia team and Bronco, because he hasn't been uh, out west or certainly back to BYU, um, I, I think you just look at it and say, hey, we're a good football team. We can win anywhere. Now there's questions, and the guys have been asked this week about the altitude. Is the altitude going to be an issue? 
the late kickoff because it's 10-15 here. Is that going to be an issue? And, and they say the right things, but the reality is we don't know. Um, they may get out there and find the first quarter they have trouble with the altitude. They may find in the fourth quarter that it catches up with them. Uh, they may find that with a late start, they get off to a sloppy beginning. I think we're going to know a lot in the first few drives. Is Ken Virginia, they don't have to play great in the first few drives, but they have to make sure they're not down 14 nothing. right? Get your legs under you, get used to where you are, understand, hey, you're in a real game because it's a step up in, I think, the competition level. Uh, I think the end of the first quarter, we're going to know a lot of the answers to these questions we've been talking about. Um, and at that point, though, you're in the fire. Before we let you go, Mike, I have just been told that you're a brother. You got some Jersey blood in you. I'm a Jersey native, my friend. It is so good to talk to you. Where, where are you from? Morris County, brother. Yeah, so I, I'm from up north in Bergen County, and I went to Rutgers. I started my career at Star Ledger in Newark. Oh, uh, so yeah, Jersey boy through and through. And, yeah. Uh, I moved down to Virginia and down to Virginia in 2002, and um, still miss it. And still try to keep up with Rutgers, but they don't really give me a whole lot to cheer for. There's nothing like tailored ham in the morning. Is that true? There you go, Taylor ham, egg and cheese with salt, pepper, and ketchup. <laughs> I'm from San Diego, and I don't know what you people are talking about, but I don't think I want to eat that. Well, you guys are going to have to take a road trip there, maybe BYU-Rutgers at some point. Oh, that'd we'll be awesome. Some, uh, oh, sure, yeah. Born yeah. and raised in Jersey myself, born in uh, Orange, and then moved up to Persephone. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I just, I knew, I knew I could tell the, the way you were talking, you had to have some East Coast blood. And then I find out, not, not just East Coast, but it's actually the hub of the East Coast, Jersey. Man, right there. It is so like good. We, to, like we like to claim. Yeah. Like we like to claim the, the center of the East Coast. People think it's New York. It's really Jersey. Of course it's Jersey, man. man. It's Frank Sinatra. It's John Bon Jovi. It's Bruce Springsteen. Queen Latifah. Dana Owens. You name it, brother. Hey, all, all you need to know is that New York City has two pro football teams, yeah. and they both play in New Jersey. Of course. Of course they do. And Zach Wilson's going to go on to stardom. A Draper Utah kid in Jersey. Well, Mike, you were a really good guest until right at the end. But yeah, yeah, I think it slipped. I think your game slipped there at the end, Mike. You had some, you had some good info, but then you got. Yeah, you were, you were, you had some good info, and then you got lost in a Jersey no, swamp no, there at the end. No, man, he he was born again in the Jersey swamps and the Jersey Shore. You name it, man, Jersey boys. We're Jersey boys. Shut up. I love it. Next time I come on, you'll have to play some spring stream as my intro. There you uh, go, man. <laughs> down to the river. Tramps like us. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Mike Barber, Virginia and ACC writer for the Richmond Times-Dispatch, and apparently still, County. still a Jersey kid. <laughs> <laughs> he, was like, he was so Jersey that he didn't even want to give you credit for Listen, you're in Utah. I don't know if you're Jersey. Let's find out where you're from. <laughs> well, okay. everybody and will as ask. soon as he said that, like, okay. There. And you, you always say, you'll say first, you'll say the county. And then if they're from the same county, then you'll then get you, a little Then, you, go, then you drill a little deeper to find out yeah. the town or right. the school. Now, and there's a difference between north and south. Bergen is north. New York, there's New York, Jersey, and there's Philly, Jersey. And that's a big difference, even though it shouldn't seem it. But it's like you're not even from the same state, even though you are.
All right, DJ and PK coming up. Lincoln Kennedy, his weekly visit, Raider radio analyst, five and two tied. Not just, not just battling for a division lead now. Now they're tied for the best record in the AFC. We'll talk with Lincoln about the Raiders and get his picks on the Pac-12 games this weekend. See where he thinks these games are headed. Utah and UCLA among the big games. Although ASU's got a big game too. We'll talk with Lincoln Kennedy next. Stay with us. The new zone lineup is here with the best coverage of the sports you love and the teams you can't live without. Catch DJ and PK mornings from 6 to 10, followed by Jake Scott and Ben Anderson from 10 to noon. Get your daily fix of Hanson Scotty from noon to 3. And then the zone welcomes unrivaled with Alex Curie and former NFL quarterback Scott Mitchell to the team. Weekdays from 3 to 6, live and local. All day, every day. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. DJ PK, time to welcome back Lincoln Kennedy, Raider radio analyst, Pac-12 network analyst. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows the 2022 budget planning for most businesses is underway. Take advantage of the Save Now, Pay Later promotion. Do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at smartrain.net. Lincoln, good morning. Well, it's LK all day. Go big or go home, PKG. <laughs> well, you certainly are big. Yes, man, how you guys doing? Good. I saw a photo of you a couple years back at the uh, Pac-12 title game up in Santa Clara, uh-huh. and you were with all the crew who was there covering it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you look so huge compared to guys like Yogi Roth and Mike Yam. I get that. You know, I, 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 people say that all the time. It's, it's uh, you know, when I do the, with the games with with Roxy Bernstein, um, he has to stand on the box, so we look, you know, similar in, in the camera shot. But yeah, I, I get that quite a bit. <laughs> it's good to be with you guys. How you guys doing? You're an old lineman. Why are people amazed by this? Old linemen are not tiny people. I've interviewed no, enough of them. I, they I think all that tower. When you over see me. on camera the, the the camera difference, yeah, uh, or or and, and just I guess what people consider normal, whatever that yeah. circumstance is, you know, it's different. All right, well, we want to talk to you about the Raiders because they're not just the Raiders now. Now they're the 5-2 and two Raiders tied for the best record in the AFC after the yeah. Bengals crushed the Ravens. When you look at the Raiders, do you see a team that's got some things going well and got some things that need fixing, or do you see one of the, if not the elite team in the AFC? I would say yes to the first two questions. And the, the third question, I wouldn't necessarily deem them elite. Um, they still have some things they have to fix. But, you know, here's the thing. Um, it, it was proven last week when, when they, the Raiders played the Eagles that Derek Carr's accuracy puts them over the top. And what I mean by that is there were several throws throughout that game where Derek Carr made him by just being an accurate quarterback. There's not a lot of quarterbacks in the league that can say the sit there and say accuracy. You, you talk about strong arm, you talk about discipline, you talk about great decision making, but accuracy is one of those intangibles that a lot of people tend to overlook because they just assume that it's there. Derek Carr's accuracy put this team over the top, um, and so when you when you team that with the fact that he's got a number of weapons, we we were all of us were concerned that Darren Waller wasn't playing and wanted to see how the Raiders were going to react without one of their star players, but they may do by utilizing and a lot of the other players uh, on that offense. And then the fact that they've got a defense that can create a rush, that can get to the quarterback, that can slow some teams down and make it hard for them to score, this is a good football team. 
I'm not ready to say they're an elite football team. I don't think they're up there with like teams like the Buffalo Bills uh, and stuff like that. But I think this is a good football team. I think this is a football team that's capable of making the playoffs, maybe winning a game or so in the playoffs. Um, but they still have a lot of work to do. Um, they still have a lot of things to overcome. Most notably, the, the Los Angeles Chargers who are in their division who share the tiebreaker right now. Yeah, they closed the season with them, so we still yeah. have about three months to go before we get to that point, or just under three months. Uh, you look at their schedule, and I got it in front of me, KC twice, and Cleveland yep. and Cincinnati should be tough. Yeah. Uh, but they got the Giants this week. Now, it's back there, so you're asking a team in the Pacific time zone to go back. Giants aren't good. They're, I think they're coming off a win, but yeah. what do you think about this game as far as, I don't know, is it a trap game or what? Because they all count. The true test for this Raiders team is to see that they can consistently beat the teams they should beat. Now, I say that tongue-in-cheek because a couple weeks ago when they lost to Chicago, um, you know, that was a team they should have beaten. Um, they came out and they took care of business against the Eagles. Now they have a bye. They're riding high off of a two-game win streak, and they should take care of business against the Giants. But we already know no game is you know, a, a given. Um, last year at this time, when they went back east to face the Jets, they almost lost to a truly inferior team. So I think that's going to be the true gross measurement, if you will, of this Raiders team. If they can beat the teams they're supposed to beat, they'll put themselves in position to have some success towards the end of the year because there are games that are going to get you know, systematically harder. But as you mentioned, the, the Chiefs, with their offense, even though the Chiefs are down defensively, with their offense, they're capable of scoring. Um, if, if they have a big game that goes right, and the Raiders have always had trouble with the Chiefs, only they split the, the season last year. And then you talk about you know teams like Dallas. You still got to take on the Chargers again. Look, Indianapolis and Cleveland for what they want. They're both inconsistent, but these are teams that still have the potential to make things harder for the Raiders. So the t- Raiders have got a long way to go, and, and at this little halfway point of the season where they got their bye. So I'm curious because it's just a two-game sample, but they got a new play caller, and that can change everything. Did it change everything, or is that just uh, a few details because it changes some things, but it doesn't change everything? It did, it did open up some things. It did change some things. There's a philosophy that's been generated by a collaborative effort from Derek Carr and Greg Olson um, that wasn't there before. Everyone knew that when Gruden was in, in the position of the head coach and offensive coordinator that he was the alpha male and they were going to go their place. And there were times where even Derek tried to change him at the line or on the field, and he, got, he came under question by John Gruden. But now, for what it's worth, from what we've seen of the two-game two game sample size, um, is Derek's had complete autonomy when he's been out there. He's, he's been in, in control. And Greg Olson has allowed him because he's trusted his, his you know, thought process. It's worked out to the Raiders, for the Raiders. Um, you still see a large sample size of a check-with-me system. And what I mean by that is when they go into the huddle these days, guys, quarterbacks are calling two plays. And it's a, it's a true check with me system. You're calling two plays, anticipating what the defense is going to do. And what Greg Olson has been able to create with Derek Carr over the last couple of games is a rhythm to the offense, a, a consistent rhythm that really has been present at times but has been inconsistent. That we'll see how the second half of the season goes for him because in the past, the past couple of years especially, Teams have gotten a drop on what the Raiders chose to do and how they chose to do it, and that's why they've been inconsistent, especially the second half of the season. But it's going, to be a, it's going to be a real true test for this offense to see how they go moving forward because now teams have enough games under their belt to see what the Raiders like to do and what the Raiders do well, and we'll see how they try to take that away or negate that. 
The Gruden thing was a big story at the time. Now it seems yeah. like it was three months ago rather than just a couple of weeks ago. And the teams come out, obviously, it's one of these two games. And, and, and now they got their bye uh, this week, obviously, and, and then New York KC and all that stuff uh, for the second set, second part of the schedule. I'm wondering, do you think because of all this stuff, did they needed the bye to catch their breath? Or is like this? these are professionals and they got a job to do, and it really doesn't matter all this other stuff because they're paid to win football games, so keep going. Where do you stand on that? I thought the best thing for the Raiders collectively as a team was to win the Denver game, um, especially after the Gruden stuff happened. Because, you know, the, the timing of all of it when it came out was the Friday before the Chicago game. They played incredibly flat. They got beat down by an inferior team. And then they had to answer the questions, especially when Gruden resigned on Monday or Tuesday, whatever it is, following the game. Um, so the best thing for them to do was to come out and win. They, they kind of suppressed a lot of questions surrounding the Gruden situation. And then they followed that up with another win against the Eagles, really suppressed a lot of it, uh, the conversation. That's why it makes it seem like it's so far away or so long ago when it really isn't. Um, and Coach Passaccia rewarded the team by giving them the entire week off. He said, you know, after the Sunday's game in the Eagles, they had the entire this week off, this bye week off, saying they're going to report back on Monday, which is unheard of in my understanding because um, I think things are a lot different now. But when I played, they would never give us that much time off. Anyways, um, it is what it is. But I, I think they needed that. And I think the reflection shows on the captains, the true leaders in that locker room, how maturely, how maturely they handled this stuff, and more importantly, how they passed it down to the team. And it transcended with a couple of wins. So you rewarded them. And now you come back after the bye, prepare for the Giants in the remainder of the season, and you've got a big task in front of you. But I think they'll be much more prepared uh, you know, to handle whether there's any lasting conversations or questions about Gruden or, or they're just moving on. Lincoln Kennedy joining us, Raider, radio analyst. Uh, I think everyone's curious, you know, when you talk about elite teams, you mentioned the Raiders are not Buffalo. Is Cincinnati in that group after what they did to Baltimore? Is Baltimore still in that group after getting blown out by Cincinnati? Or are these just one game and... The AFC, what is it, North? I think it is, yeah. um, was, was going to be competitive. We we knew it. We actually expected that Cleveland was going to be in the position that Cincinnati is now in. But Cincinnati has found their way. They found their rhythm, and they are a dangerous team. I still think Baltimore is one of those uh, teams potentially because they have both sides of the ball. We have a, a playmaker like Lamar Jackson. Even though the Raiders got him in Game One, they were down, especially with running backs and stuff like that. They were consistent. They found their way as well. So I think both of them are going to be a true test. The, the, the favorable for the Raiders part is that since they've already beaten Baltimore, if it comes down to a tie-breaking situation, then most likely you know, Baltimore, if, they, if the Raiders are able to win the division, Baltimore would end up having to come in, uh, back out to Legion rather than the Raiders going there. But Cincinnati, I, I do believe, is for real. I think they, they found a rhythm uh, in both their run and pass game as well as their defense. Joe Burrow is playing very well, and they're going to be a dangerous team. So the weekly question, Lincoln, that probably won't be answered until December, who's the best team in the Pac-12? It won't be answered until December. (laughs) (laughs) 
I, I, I try to prepare you guys the last time we talked that I thought that Oregon State was for real. And I still think that. I still think Oregon State's for real. Um, but, you know, what? The, the, the fact is is that with the Pac-12, there's such a competitive level that that, that you, 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 you know, raises one eyebrow that it, it depends on the, the timing. It depends on the week. Who's going to take it? I still think Utah's up there. Um, you know, I'm not a big believer in Oregon as a whole, but – they find a way to win. Um, so, you know, it's anyone's guess where we're going to go from here. But the competitive level of the Pac-12 is something that's fun to watch. It's something that's fun to analyze and try to predict is even harder than anything else because it's like, you, you, you like you said a moment ago, you just have to wait to December. I really don't know who's going to be playing in Allegiant Stadium on December 3rd. <laughs> so we ex- I expect, and I think PK does too, that most of these Pac-12 games are going to have close point spreads. And you look yeah. this week, you know, two and a half, six and a half, one and a half, that all makes sense. If there's a big point spread, I expect Arizona and Colorado to be involved because they're not as good as the other 10. Right. Colorado can't score points, so Oregon's right. a 24-point favorite. Fine. USC 21 over Arizona, fine. They, but ASU is a 16-point favor of Washington State. Obviously, Ute fans want Washington State to win no. that game. I don't think it's the game. It's a, it's the line on how many penalties they expect. Nope, that's not what it is. It's <laughs> not what it is. Could be, I get your point, but it's not what it is. Is ASU going to roll Wazoo? Ute fans want to know if you think they're in, and you live in that state. So, Do you think Washington State can go in and win that game? Because that's what Ute fans want. No, I think Washington State's going to put up a challenge. I think ASU's going to win, but it's not going to be by that wide of a margin. So I think Washington State's going to put up a challenge. Yeah, my thought is if the Devils commit as an alum, if they commit 10 penalties, I'm going to withdraw my $25 a year (laughs) donation to the alumni club. That's it. I've had it. I've had it, Lincoln. I'm done with it. If they get 10 penalties, forget it. It's funny because you don't (laughs) typically see a Herm Edwards coach team that lack that much discipline and it's been something that's perplexed a lot of people including me throughout this season it's like what how do you what what is this it's not something that's indicative of what we've seen in the past so yeah i, I think it's going to be the uh, ultimately the sun devils achilles heels because they're going to get themselves in a big game like they have already had and commit so many penalties they're not going to be able to win see i think it's some type of mask and if we pulled back the mask it would actually be dennis erickson coaching the team <laughs> Wow, okay. <laughs> Never thought about that one, but yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> and Vontez Burfick committing personal oh fouls. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, there it is. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's going to be beautiful. All right, uh, you got the Utes or UCLA. I'll let yeah. you go on this one. Utes, Utah or UCLA? I like you. I, I think Utah is going to find a way to pull it out. I think they're going to control the game, keep it away from UCLA's offense, and then find a way to win the game. I like you. All right. We appreciate it. LK, thanks for joining DJ and PK. Oh, I love you guys, man. I appreciate All it. Right. Me. Lincoln Kennedy, Raider right. radio analyst, Pac 12 network analyst. It's a whole Halloween thing going on there, but it's year round. The ghost of Dennis. Well, well, yeah, they were very undisciplined. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been shockingly undisciplined. It is. Maybe now that they're not playing in the state of Utah or a Utah team. Because they've had double digit penalties Penalties in all three of the games (laughs) against Utah teams. Thank goodness the Aggies aren't on the schedule this year. (laughs) (laughs) All right, DJ and PK. Coming up, 9 o'clock hour, Brian Geltziler, founder of hoopscritic.com, is going to join us in about 15 minutes. Stay with us.
It's game week for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. The Utes return home to the friendly confines of Rice-Eccles Stadium for a key Pac-12 South Division battle against Chip Kelly and UCLA. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch the Ute pregame show Saturday with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Ute football. You ready? Yeah! Than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. (laughs) Join Jake and Ben Friday at the warehouse from 10 to noon. They'll be there tomorrow. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. I don't know why that struck me as funny, but that was ridiculous. <laughs> Catch you too. <laughs> okay, Grandpa. <laughs> I am not a grandpa. <laughs> All right, so we just heard Kyle talk about uh, your favorite Utah quarterback, the guy you saw as a starter before anybody else, and Cam Rising's numbers are great. Does it make you nervous when you see him run the ball, though? No. That he's going to take the hit? No. Because he takes the hit. But that's no different than anybody else. So yes, but no. It's part of the game. Well, there are quarterbacks who don't take the hit the same way. I would agree with you that more quarterbacks... I I would agree that more quarterbacks take the hit than don't. (laughs) I was really impressed with that South Florida. The team was terrible, but the quarterback was really good, and he did not... He made big plays and did not let BYU hit him. And then uh, Illinois... At, uh, I think it was one of the overtimes. <laughs> all list the quarterbacks who got blasted. But, but, but you saw his arm uh-huh. just go. and you, you look, my, I was watching it with my wife, and she turned away. Ah! Yeah, that type right, of thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it been, and then, then we find out he's got a broken arm. No kidding. Yeah. yeah. I ain't no doctor. I did pre-med <laughs> for a while. Friday nights. Mm-hmm. And, until State. I established myself. <laughs> so to speak. And, and you could see that, that that sucks big time. So, no. And it's all riding on Cam. And don't say that I said that Cam Rising is the starter. You're using way too many letters. You only need the first four letters of starter, what I said he would be. <coughs> That's star if you're doing that uh, word puzzle in your head. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Thomas Rhett, who I plan to see in February, has a song out, star of the show. This guy is the star of the show. No, it's amazing to me. He's the best scrambler that I've ever seen to get a first down without being a big-time runner. Like Lamar Jackson's a big-time runner. You see him run for a big deal. I've seen that a million times. Taysom Hill. Seen that a million times, right? But Cam... Well, the whole pocket big, is collapsing on him, but and somehow he escapes and gets a first down. Okay. Fran Tarkington told me he was impressed. Fran Tarkington. I am tempted now to break down Fran Tarkington <laughs> versus Cam Rising, because I think that's a terrible comparison by you. I don't even know what Fran Tarkington was about. It, it just was, came into my mind. He was elusive. I remember him for with uh, Cam is, one gal doing the TV Oh, they did shows. a show. Yeah. I saw that's that. incredible. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Thanks. That's incredible. And by the way, that's incredible was just TikTok and YouTube before TikTok and YouTube. Good point. But they were on to something. <laughs> no, but he, I saw a video of him actually the other day. He actually scored a touchdown. A guy pushed him out of bounds. He turns around and just chucks the ball at the guy's helmet. Fran Tarkenton? It was a different yeah, era. Yeah, he's a feisty dude, man. It was a different era. Yeah. 
Cam's small. Cam's not that small. No, but nobody is anymore. Cam's strong and fast. But it looks like he's got nothing going on. And he's not a take-off guy. Like, I expected Hill and Jackson to take off. I don't expect that. Somehow, Rising makes something out of nothing there. More and of a true gets, pocket It's passer. like third and 12, and he's weaving his way, and the next thing you know, he's got a first down. It's incredible. DJ and PK coming up next. NBA, Brian Geltziler. What does he think of the Jazz chances this year? Who are the big dogs in the West? Five teams perceived as big dogs were all beaten last night. The Lakers, the Clippers, the Suns, the Nets, the world champion Bucks, all beaten. Brian Geltziler, next. Stay with us.